Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is the OSP Selection Sunday special. That's right. This is the best day in college basketball. This is the day that we get brackets. This is the day that we dictate and determine the futures and the fates of our favorite teams. It's the best of times. And today we're going to have Kyle Mann come on. We're going to break down every single region. We're going to let you know the best and biggest characters that are going to be in each specific region. We're going to try to get you all up to speed on the best players to watch, whether it's NBA guys or just fun people that are that are good characters in the world of college basketball. I'm excited about that. Excited to have Kyle Mann back on the show. Also, we're going to have Sports Center host Kevin Connors come on. He does his mid-major top 10 throughout the year. He's a guy that keeps an eye on the Cinderella's for us, and we're going to do a nice little Cinderella spotlight with Kevin Connors. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm so fired up. This is March Madness. This is Selection Sunday. Uh, we got a great show coming up for you. Kyle, are you fired up or are you locked in? Or are you watching this? Are you What's going on in the world of Kyle right now? Are you hungover today? I'm locked in. I, I stopped being hungover like four hours ago, so good. it's all good there. Um, but no, I'm locked in. I'm I'm perusing for names uh, of guys. I mean, I'm gonna get a big board going. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to fake it till I make it, buddy. Uh, all that's great. Uh, but first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical out foul. Timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, here we go. It is Selection Sunday. We are 22 days away from crowning another national champion. Uh, obviously, this is 2023. We didn't have a national champion back in 2020. There's going to be one day where this man, Kyle Mann, and I figure out who actually should have won the 2020 national championship. But that's neither here nor there because today it is a holiday, a great day, a Selection Sunday, and anything can happen in March. Kyle, man, are you fired up as I am for this day? Incredibly fired up. Incredibly <laughs> fired up. It's, you know, I, Kirk Goldsberry made a point one time where uh, th- where he was talking about what the magic of basketball was, and he t- pinpointed something I'd never heard anybody say, 
which was that like the magic of basketball is that moment when the ball's in the air, like that electric feeling. And I feel like this moment before, before it starts, just hope just starts bubbling up all over the place. You're like, man, maybe we don't win six. Maybe we, we win two. Maybe we win three. That is what the, that's the, this time of the year bottles that it bottles that lightning and puts it into one incredible event that all of sports, all people, you see people who are not interested the rest of the year. They're like, yes, of course I want this like cocaine hit of excitement and, and elation. It's the best time of the year, Tate. I know you know this. We've been on both sides of it, man. We're on, we're both on kind of a worse side of it right now. <laughs> yes, but yes, the optimism yes. and the hope is it's uh it's it's just it's an electric fun feeling, man. I'm I'm excited to watch it, even though I don't expect to be happy at the end of it. Yeah, it's infectious, you know, and everyone gets fired up. And also, as soon as you see Greg Gumbel sitting there and getting you primed and getting you ready for the moment, it's a great day for printers, right? We're all coming back. I mean, I just printed out my bracket. I got it in front of me. This is the one day where you got to make sure that your printer works. So uh, March Madness, you know, it's nostalgia. It's bottled up. Like you said, it's everyone's excited about everything and the potential of what could be in March. And that's what we love. We love the magic. We love the storylines. We love the characters. Obviously, we're going to get into all that sort of stuff. But first and foremost, I want to start with the elephant in the room is what I'm calling it, Kyle, man. And that is the number one overall seed in this tournament because we just saw them dominate in the SEC tournament. Of course, I'm talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide of with, you know, led by a guy in Brandon Miller who is, uh, you know, I'm sure NBA scouts everywhere are salivating as they watch him play. But Alabama is the number one overall seed. That is something that a lot of people probably did not predict at the start of the season. But if you watch this team, you've seen them dominate. And I personally believe their ceiling is higher than any ceiling in college basketball. Kyle, man, what did you see in the SEC tournament? And how scared should everyone be from this Alabama team? Because uh, they look like they're playing their best basketball right now. Well, if you look at the the evolution of the way that Nate Oates has coached and built his teams, you know, you think back, he's been frisky in the tournament for a while. He knocked out that DeAndre Ayton team back in 2018 uh, with Buffalo. And, the, and he has just, as he's gotten access to more talent, he has sort of shaped his philosophy and his roster building. And I think we're reaching a point where he has, like, figured it out. He has multiple bigs and, you know, in, in Clowney and Gurley and Bediaco, so he can play multiple styles. They have rim protection. They have multiple guys that are quick off the dribble and Jaden Bradley and uh, and um, uh, I'm blanking on uh, Quinterly. And uh, and then you also have uh, Rylan Griffin, who played high school basketball with Casey Wallace. You have a lot of kind of aces yeah. in the hole. Uh, and then you got, obviously, a guy who, if Victor Wimbanyama wasn't there, I think would absolutely be in the conversation for the number one pick. KOC and I have kind of moved that direction together. Maybe we've influenced each other on our show. Charks and I did that last year. But I think the NBA, you know, the broader audience is going to want, if you're watching through an NBA lens, and maybe we could get into more of that, I don't know if we will, but um, Miller is appointment viewing, man. He absolutely is in that phylum of, like, I'm not not saying he's going to get there, but he has the developmental runway to get there of like a Jason Tatum, a Paul George. He's electric. He can pass. And but it's not just him, man. They're balanced and they play defense. So I, I think that Alabama is a team I would not want to see because they're talented and they play really hard. And like I said, Alabama is the overall number one seed. This is the first time in school history that they've been a number one seed. So that, you know, that says something in and of itself. And especially when you talk about all the off the court stuff that has come with this team, you know, the cloud that is kind of hanging over this program, specifically hanging over a guy like Brandon Miller. So the conversation about this team has not been about basketball. Uh, and of course, we know why. We know the reasons why. But when you watch this team today and you watch them play in the SEC championship and play against a team in Texas A&M that I think is 
a really tough squad, a team that I could easily see be being in the second weekend and just dominate the way that they did. And, you know, you look at the roster of Alabama. I mean, a guy like Brandon Miller, he to me in the NBA is like a six nine shooting guard. And you have him in college basketball right now. The guy follows his shot. He's got like these old school fundamental principles that tend to work out. He gets more offensive rebounds than anyone. The, the one matchup that as I was watching Alabama today, I kept saying to myself, man, Alabama versus Houston and the way that they both crashed the glass, you know, on the offensive end, what what a insane matchup that would be. And that's all I could keep thinking about because I already forecast this Alabama team is going to make a deep run. This doesn't feel you know, not to pin them against their rival, but this doesn't feel like Auburn last year, right? Where Auburn had the talent with a Kessler and a Jabari Smith, and it felt like that could be a team. They were kind of the hot pick to make a run to the Final Four. Alabama is heads and shoulders right now, in my opinion, with all the, you know, the uncertainty that's surrounding a team like Kansas with Bill Self. He had a couple stints in his heart. Um, you know, Houston now with Marcus Sasser with the is that wet reported spot. the stints thing? Because are you are is that did that actually get reported? I, I think that's the first I think I, heard that. I saw the Kansas, uh, you know, local media reporting that it was stints, but oh, he okay. he got released okay. from the hospital. Greg Gumble did say that, and he's planning to coach. So I mean that that is good news as a Kansas fan. But regardless, there's there's question marks around the top four teams, UCLA without Jalen Clark. They're waiting on Amari Bailey to step up. So the fact that your number one overall seed is by far, in my opinion, the number one overall seed by what we've seen with the eye test. And you have these question marks around the other top teams. You know, maybe Purdue fans are, are, are fired up because of what they saw in the Big Ten tournament. And maybe they're saying, hey, don't forget about us. But regardless, this Alabama path and this Alabama setup uh, with them in the South as number one seed it looks pretty promising if you're an Alabama fan and if you believe in this Alabama group because they do all the little things. And even when Brandon Miller is missing shots, like I was saying before, he gets rebounds on his own misses. So he creates more offense. So him just putting up a shot is almost good offense for them. And when when he's not making shots, he picks up full court. He, he locks in on defense. Uh, and, and their entire team plays great team defense. So uh, the more I, I, I watch this Alabama team, Kyle, the more I feel like there is a, a pit in my stomach that says, man, this team seems to be destined for Houston and maybe more. Yeah, I've gotten amused by the dynamic specifically between Cal and and Nate Oates because it kind of reminds me of that Gatorade commercial whenever MJ is out in there shooting by himself and then like 85 MJ walks in. There's just <laughs> right. a lot of there, like the snarkiness, the confidence, the I'm playing a new style. We want to there's just a kind of like a UMass early Memphis kind of like we want to beat your ass. We're tough. We're going to talk shit kind of an, a vibe about about Alabama and the difference between them and and uh, those Auburn teams last year is that like Auburn doesn't have like a ticking time bomb of, of a backcourt that you know is just going to get you in trouble and that kind of hurt them and they and they negated their best player i don't alabama is so balanced and dynamic they played houston earlier this year in at houston and beat them by six points and and brandon miller actually was like not playing his like he's developed since then and he fits that archetype of that that like big six nine ball handler who can pass the ball and that's the thing if you really want to watch something that's fun the shooting is the candy and it's really it's the it's the uh, I'm not going to say it's the empty calorie stuff, but the the vegetables, the thing that makes him like a really awesome dynamic player is the passing. Bama is who who I expect. Uh, I would love to see if we could get at some point. I, I need to pull the bracket up to see if that's even possible, though. Can we even get a Kansas Bama situation here? Yes, we could. We could get a Bama Kansas national championship game. Uh, that would be a lot of perimeter talent on one court. I, I want to see it. 
I feel like the NBA scouts, if that were to happen, would lose their minds and maybe they come back around and say college basketball isn't so bad. Maybe we do love college basketball. <laughs> that that That's the best case scenario for the uh, college basketball fan uh, and the NBA fan coming together is watching those two teams. Let's keep moving through the South because, you know, you look at that 8-9 matchup that Alabama would potentially play in the second round if all things go according to plan. You got Maryland and you got West Virginia. And you talked about that, you know, kind of moxie that comes with Alabama and they're trying to impose their will. They're a very tough group. When I think of toughness on a basketball court, I think about a guy, Huggy Bear, Bob Huggins. We talk about characters. This is his 26th NCAA tournament. This is a team that West Virginia kind of went through the gauntlet in the Big 12. They are all of the typical staples of a Bob Huggins team. And they're going up against a Maryland group that went undefeated at home this season in Kevin Willard's first season. Kevin Willard had a great year with this Maryland group. There's some questions about Young with his health and things like that. But in general, if you're Alabama, there's a matchup there between maybe a Maryland or a a toughest nails team in West Virginia that maybe has your attention. I'm not saying that's the strongest 8-9 matchup. But just looking at those two teams, I think they would come in and maybe at least give Bama some sort of a test early on. Do you see something with that 8-9 matchup? Is that a good draw for Alabama? I feel like it might be the best 8-9 draw for all the one seeds. Yeah, I think if you go and you look like stylistically, what are you are you going to try to like impose your will on Alabama and get them out of what they want to do? I think the big thing is like if you, if you can try to negate Quinterly and you can kind of try just try to cut the cut the water off wherever you can, like, and figure out that like, okay, that's Quinterly, that's Bradley, that's Brandon Miller and make them uncomfortable. Miller has at times struggled with physicality. If he gets up against a team that gets up under him, uh, that's kind of what Houston did, but Houston still didn't pull it off. Uh, throughout the year though, I mean, you look at their losses, they, one of the most bizarre loss of the year, I feel like is the at Oklahoma loss that Bama suffered. I don't think either one of these teams though are going to be able to, to effectively do that, uh, in terms with their personnel, uh, I have Alabama actually coming out of the first two rounds there. What do you think? I think so. I think Alabama, like I said, I feel like the path is paved. I I would love to see West Virginia and Huggy Bear match up with them just for that kind of, I mean, just the coaching uh, matchup. When you talk about those two guys, I, I can see Oates and Huggy Bear having uh, a, a fire, a fiery back and forth. Um, let's keep let's keep cruising through the South. Uh, so the other game, the six eleven matchup, we always talk about the five twelve matchup, right? That's what everyone wants to pinpoint. But I think we've moved on where the six eleven game is where we have a little bit of chaos, and we've seen eleven seeds make some runs, especially with the Dayton wrinkle that we have thrown in right now. But in the South, I think this might be one of the best games in the first round. You got the Creighton Blue Jays, a team that I think they might have the best starting five in the country. They've won fourteen of their last nineteen games. And they're getting matched up with a team in NC State in Denver uh, with one of our favorite characters in college basketball, DJ Burns, former Big South player of the year with Winthrop. Um, This NC State team has a fiery backcourt with Jarkel Joyner um, and Terquavion Smith, of course, a guy who looks like he might be uh, a first-round pick in the NBA draft coming up. So this matchup with Creighton, with with the talent that they had, they had a little skid with Cockbrenner going down, and with NC State, who has a very high ceiling, that they've been susceptible to some you know head scratching losses, including three losses to Clemson. Even though they got in over Clemson, we can talk about that later. But this matchup, I think, Kyle, with these two teams, it might be the best game of the first round when you talk about talent on the court. And uh, you know, with these two coaches, Kevin Keats is going to press Greg McDermott. Dermott, he gets great shots, runs great offense. So I- I'm excited for this game. I'm pretty fired up about this matchup. Yeah, I, it's something, and we talked about this last episode, is, is a commonality that you you find among teams that make runs is either they have some kind of odd, like, 
inverted way that they play. I remember Loyola Chicago had some guys that could hit shots, but they had a big guy who could who could or facilitate. And whenever when whenever you're looking for that, you can either find like like a post inside out type team, or you find a team that just has a bunch of like dribble shooters that can get hot, can get going. And I think NC NC State. Here's the flip side of it, though, man. I feel like whenever you start to believe in a team like NC State and you start to say, and I know I know you've observed this uh, firsthand, they're a team that, like, if they get out in transition, they're lethal. They can really, really hit threes in transition, 38.3%. Um, the big thing, though, is teams that rely on transition is keep them out, slow it down, be deliberate, you know. And I think Creighton is a team you talked about how well put together they are with their first five. They can run deliberate offense, but they also have guys that can hit shots. Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Nimhard, uh, Kaluma comes off the bench. He's kind of a chaos agent. Um, I don't know. I think the Kalkbrenner DJ Burns matchup is is going to be pretty amusing to see. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm really excited. Talk about, about contrasting that. styles between those two guys. I mean, Kalkbrenner is very much like if you watch Kalkbrenner, you would you would compare him to like a doe or a deer. Like he's very lanky and you know just kind of like flails up the up. He kind of prances <laughs> around a little bit. And then DJ Burns is just like big boy on the block. Wants to feel you. Wants to get in you. Wants to you know wants to go back to the old school Zach Randolph Zebo post days. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's who he is at his core. So those two guys. I mean, I feel like I I can already envision a moment where Greg McDermott pulls Cockburner to the side and he's like, you got to lock in. Like th- this is this is no game. Like th- this is big boy basketball, and uh, I don't know. Just those two guys running up against each other is going to be hilarious. Or cockburner, as Kyle said on the last episode, didn't you? Say, Kyle, yeah. didn't you say cockburner? I feel like I heard that. And I like horse laughed walking my dog. Am I crazy? Did that happen? Was yeah, that show. Yeah, I said. That. Okay, I thought <laughs> he, so. said, he said. I said. Yeah, <laughs> I think tape uh, just breezed by it. I was like, yeah. okay, I, I, I let that. it. Ha- I let it fly because it's too good. It's also like. I feel bad that Kyle missed out on the the Kofi Coburn era. You know what I mean? Where we could have yeah. got him saying that the first time. That would have been great. Uh, but yeah, th- this Creighton game, this NC State game. There's a, there's two a Baylor Shireman we both are in love with. I saw Bear Sh- Baylor Shireman in Maui. This is a guy who can hit big shots. You and I were texting about. He was the most beloved transfer portal player for the Blue Bloods. You know, Duke thought they had him. Kentucky thought they had him. Carolina at one point tried to throw their hat in the ring. Every Blue Blood was going after Baylor Shireman, and then. He ends up at Creighton, and he's kind of in the the perfect spot for uh, a fun run in March. And like I said, though, uh, that 11-6 game, there's a lot of upsets uh, that happen. In fact, since 2011, they put a stat up uh, on the show with Greg Gumbel. You know, 26 and 22, the 11 seed against the 6 seed since 2011 in the tournament. So that's that's a fun wrinkle. Tends to be some upsets. So if you believe in NC State, maybe you you pinpoint that game as an upset. I think the South in general is kind of an upset region. Um, when I look at Baylor, who's the three seed, they're going up against uh, Santa Barbara, Joe Pasternak's team. Pasternak is a guy that uh, when he first got there, you know, the Gauchos had won six games. They were, they were kind of an irrelevant program. And he has just gotten them to the point where they just continue to win games. They, they're, they're averaging about 20 wins a season at this point. And Baylor is a team that is scary, but it, but in a sense, they, they just haven't been able to kind of put it all together despite the talent. So I, I marked that game as a potential upset game. And then, you know, Arizona, I, I obviously saw them in Maui, too. Arizona is a tournament, uh, you know, team. They win tournaments. They won Maui. They just win the Pac-12 championship. Um, so they know how to win tournaments. But Princeton... And this is not Pete Carrill's Princeton team. Don't get me wrong, but Princeton's tough. And Princeton is going to make them play 
a, a brand of smart basketball that they may not want to play, especially a guy like Kirk Creesa, who is a wild card to say the least. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the South, I, I see just upsets. You know what I mean? I just across the board, you can you can talk me into the Gauchos. You can talk me into NC State. And I think the one that you can really talk me into, and I want to hear your thoughts on this team, Furman. Furman, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in a 13-4 game with Virginia, I, I see the Paladins as a team that's very, they're very smart. They're very intellectual. They play a high level brand of basketball. That's a lot of the staples of a Virginia team. I feel like this is going to be kind of a, a, a nice match of the wits here. And uh, you like Furman. I like Furman. Is there a chance we see a big upset here in the first round? Uh, the, yeah, there's definitely a chance. Uh, Furman fourth overall in offensive rating in the entire uh, in the entire country. They're 27 and seven this year, 15 and three in conference, and they won the Southern Conference. They have a player on their team that is well. They have two players that are pretty good, and I kind of like to look for teams that have like a lot. You you mentioned like teams that can win tournaments. Is that part of your philosophy? That, that like, that's you know you like to see that. What I is, like to what see is that you about? can win. I don't know. I just I I always think to myself, you know, at the end of the day, you have to go win this tournament. And if you haven't experienced winning tournaments, you you have something to fall back on. You know what it feels like to be the ultimate winner. That's why, you know, a team we'll talk about later, a team like Louisiana, I saw them play in the Asheville Championship. And yes, it's a small time tournament. No big deal. But I, I watched them win that tournament. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, oh, that team knows at the end of the day what it feels like to be a winner. Um, and, and that is nice experience to fall back on. So it's a dumb thing, probably. You know, a lot of people say so. that. I don't know. think that's dumb. I think like the, I like the teams rhythm that and the, the turnaround part of it, I think, like the quick turnaround part. I think it's I right. think it's an interesting philosophy. Maybe we should study more later. But the uh, Mike Botwell at Bothwell and Jalen Slauson. I love Slauson, man. I love um, uh, he just is a really fun player. He's he's a he's a uh, I think he's like a fifth or a six year player. Uh, definitely a senior six foot seven. He can really pass the ball out of the post like he's a really fun, creative player. And if you're not ready for his style, <clears throat> getting emotional, uh, if you're not ready <laughs> for his style. The passing, man, it just it makes me so happy. Uh, he can be uh, a little infuriating. So he's going to be an interesting thing for Virginia to to uh, prepare for. Uh, Furman is a team absolutely that could beat Virginia. Are you picking that one? Well, I, I th- I'm leaning towards that, but I love, you know, look, the Wahoo fans have been so great to me, and I want Tony Bennett to, to make a run for the ACC sake. But I do think with Vanderplas going down, there's a little bit of an identity crisis with this Virginia team, and they're trying to figure out who they are without Vanderplas. I thought he was a nice glue guy for that group. So I don't know. I think there's more questions than answers with Virginia. So in my mind, it makes a lot of sense. And we know when Virginia has injuries in the tournament, like they did with DeAndre Hunter, we saw what happened, you know, when they played UMBC. So I don't know. There's a little bit of a recipe and a formula that unfortunately has played out with, you know, with this group. Um, so that, that's on my radar. Also, I mean, the traditional upset, even though I said to throw it out, the 5-12 San Diego State-Charleston game, I think a lot of people are going to be high on Charleston and, and and ride Charleston because, look, they were a top 25 team. I watched them take the number one team, North Carolina, you know, and, and make them play a good game at the start of the year. So I know that the Cougars are a good basketball team, but I think we might be undervaluing how good San Diego State is. Um, yeah. I, I really do. So I know that a lot of people are going to go after Charleston in that 5-12 game, but in my heart of hearts, I do think San Diego State is San Diego State is a battle tested team, a really good defensive team, a well coached team with Brian Dutcher. So I see San Diego State there as uh, 
that's a good draw for them potentially to get to the second weekend. Because if Furman does pull off the upset and you're you're San Diego State, you're saying, okay, not nice. We get we, get, we play a 13 seed, and all of a sudden, you know, we're we're in the second weekend, and we got to draw probably with Alabama, the best team in the tournament. So we'll, we'll see what happens from there. But anytime you make the Sweet 16, that's a good that's a good run. But the South to me is where I think upsets are possible. So if you're an upset person and you're filling out your bracket. Lean to the South. You know, I, outside of Alabama, I feel like there's a lot of teams you could talk yourself into. Um, anything else in the South that stands out to you? Maybe Kobe Brown. We should talk about him. Uh, a yeah. guy we love at Missouri. Yeah, Kobe Brown is one of my favorite uh, sort of, I, I feel like he's going to be like a late first round E type player. Honestly, he kind of feels like a Grizzlies-ish type player to me. Like he he just, he does a lot of things. He'll put together these wild sequences where he'll like defend the point guard. He'll be at the back and that kind of Draymond, low man, rotate, wall up. He's got a big body. He shoots like 46% from three. Um, he's, it's kind of the same reason I fell in love with David Roddy last year. It's, it's, he, he just does a variety of things. He's really competitive. He got kicked in the head in the SEC tournament and I'm surprised <laughs> he's still alive. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I just think that, uh, Mizzou puts a lot of points up. There are a lot of great offensive teams in this, in this region, man. Charleston has like almost six double figure scores on their, on their roster. Ryan Larson is a really good score in the pick and roll. Um, they just, they put up a lot of points. It's going to, it's going to be a wild one. So I think that speaks to what you're talking about though, that I, I feel like the, uh, variance, there's the word, uh, could be, Love but it. then, but then you have the Virginia Furman thing, which actually could be, it could pave a road for somebody who, who plays a more disciplined style in this region. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's just wide open in the South. I, I just I kind of really like how this region played out as far as the matchups. They're all kind of fascinating. And Utah State is a team that if you haven't watched them, they're a fun group. We got we got Kevin Connors, who's going to do a little Cinderella spotlight. He'll talk about Utah State getting getting the weeds with that team. But uh, yeah, that's the South. We'll keep it moving. Let's get to the Midwest, which is where the Houston Cougars are the number one seed in the Midwest region. And a lot of, uh, you know, shock and awe there when that first got announced because people um, expected Kansas to be the number two, number one here and play in Kansas City, kind of a, a home setup for them. They lead the country in quad one wins. We've seen that stat over and over and over again, and Kansas continues to deliver. The good news is it sounds like Bill Self, their head coach, will be back. We you know a lot of prayers for him. Bill Self, one of the best in the business. So great to hear that. Uh, but Houston... Uh, uh, getting this seed um, over uh, Kansas, as I said, and now they have a situation where this first round is interesting because Iowa and Auburn, that's their 8-9 game. Iowa is one of the best offenses in the country. Oh, they yeah. have a guy in Chris Murray who is, you know, I've seen him lottery pick on some boards, but going to be a first-round pick, going to play in the NBA. So he's fascinating. Auburn, of course, we mentioned their backcourt uh, with Wendell Green and Katie Johnson. They are who they are, but they're a well-coached team with Bruce Pearl. Auburn's always going to be scary for anybody. So that first round game too, that eight, nine game between Iowa and Auburn, that's going to be a good one too. Right, Kyle? Yeah, it's, it's overall, man, it's a wild year for eight, nine matchups, you know, this <laughs> yes. and, and team teams that, that fit a certain like prototype or like template tend to fall here. Like I remember like the 2012 UConn team fell into Kentucky's eight, nine game. And I was like, fuck, I was like so mad because I was like, God, they have all that. They have Jeremy Lamb and Andre Drummond. Um, that kind of like perennially tends to happen and you can overthink it, I feel like. So it could be a thing that you mentioned Iowa. Yeah. Chris Murray, he's he's literally just sort of like a mirror of, of his brother inverted the other way, but he plays in a very similar way, moves off the ball, shoots the three really well. He's a guy that can score really well. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I, they're they're a machine. They've got McCaffrey's returning back from his from his hiatus, and he's been playing better. 
Um, yeah, Auburn, I, I just don't, I don't know that I trust Auburn and I don't trust I, Auburn. I, yeah. I want to put that out there. I don't trust yeah. Auburn. I, I wish, I wish that I could trust Auburn, but I mean, the, the way that I look at this game is that Auburn's backcourt probably will be better than Iowa's backcourt. That tends to be the, the conversation every year with Iowa, Iowa fans throw their arms up and go, why don't we have guard play? <laughs> you know what I mean? And and that's kind of the same conversation. It just keeps happening again and again. So there is a, a world in which where Wendell Green and Katie Johnson come out and, and they play the best version of themselves and they get a big win and we look like idiots. But for whatever reason, I just don't think that's going to happen. And, and, I, and I'm buying in on uh, Fran McCaffrey getting this win in the first round. Third straight tournament, though, uh, for Fran McCaffrey as well. And I feel like he needs... He needs some sort of good result, and this feels like uh, it's set up well for him because this Auburn team, they're a little Jekyll and Hyde, right? Like, you never know who's going to show up. Kind of classic Bruce Pearl, Auburn. Janai Broom is a good player, transferred from my alma mater, Moorhead State. Uh, He's a guy who can just go wild in the tournament. You want to talk about, like, epic wild post bag. He's somebody that can put up points. He he did it, uh, I forget if it was last year or a couple years ago, but he's he's a guy that has some tourney experience, too. Um, That, I... I don't know with Auburn, like you said, I, but I'm, I'm would not, if you put a gun to my head, there's no way that I would bet on them. Um, the question here, I guess, is if we go down through here, uh, the Miami Drake situation, I yeah. think is interesting because you've got a guy who has been talked about as sort of a, a fringe first roundy kind of guy and Tucker DeVries who can really fill it up. He's more of a physical, like, um, I'm trying to think of it. He's more of a McDermott type than like a fast moving Joe Harris type. I know that's the lazy white guy thing to do. I feel like <laughs> Miami is going to make it a long day for Tucker DeVries. I, I don't, I could be wrong, but I, I, I have Miami coming out of that one in that 512. I feel like this is another folly where a lot of people see this matchup. Drake is a team. This is their second tournament in three years. They were the last undefeated team in college basketball a couple years back. They're they're a program that I think has gotten a lot of attention recently, and people like the way they play. I think they're a very fun team. So I could see the the draw of trying to make this 5-12 pick. I think Miami is underseeded. I think Miami is more of a four, potentially even a three seed, is how I view this team. Good take. uh, obviously, you know, Norchad O'Meara going down um, was was a big deal against Duke, and that changed the way that game sort of played out, in my opinion. I thought Miami was a team that was going to win in Greensboro. So Miami, to me, like you said, they're going to be a group that is maybe underrated as we get into this tournament. And then I look, I forecast ahead, if Indiana can get past the Golden Flashes, which I think is a big if, because Kent State is a really interesting team. But if Indiana does get does get past Kent State, you have a matchup with Miami and Indiana to go to the Sweet 16. Those are two high-profile coaches, in my opinion, when you talk about Coach Larinaga and talk about Mike Woodson. That is going to be a showdown. That That's almost like NBA-caliber head coaches with the experience and the way that they get the most out of their guys. So, And the guard play with the Hood Shafino going up against Isaiah Wong. Um, just looking at that matchup in general between Indiana and Miami, that might be the best second round game that we get or whatever they call it because of the first four. But in reality, it's a second round game that that would be the best second round matchup to me. When you talk about just the programs, uh, what's on the line, right? For, for these seasons, because Miami, as we know, they spent the bag to go try to make a (laughs) final four and Indiana, they brought back Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson and, and brought in a Hood Shafino because they were trying to make a real run in March because that's what Indiana does. That's what they point to every single time. They say banners. So that is going to be a high-profile, high-level basketball game. And I, I think that's a 
that's a fun matchup. I hope the Golden Flashes don't take it away from us, though, because they're a really good basketball team, really good defensive team. And I saw Wally Zerbiak with his strong eyebrows. He said he likes Kent State. So um, <laughs> Picking his former grad assistant, right? I guess, uh, was that his grad assistant at like Miami, Ohio, I guess? That's now ahead. That timeline, I guess, adds up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's slotted Purdue, too. So he's he's just making enemies all over the place. Tyrese <laughs> Halliburton. Zerbiak, Zerbiak's been slinging, <laughs> slinging barbs. Yeah. Zerbiak's never afraid of the fight. He's never afraid of, afraid of the fray. He gets in it and uh, it makes it happen. So uh, that that's fun. I think that'll be a, a game that I keep my eye on. And the, the, the other big game in this region that I think is going to be a matchup of maybe some Titans, Texas A&M and Penn State. I was shocked that Texas A&M was a seven seed. I think Penn State, it's a little funny that Penn State was the 10 seed in the Big Ten tournament, also the the 10 seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. That just shows how much respect the committee obviously has for the Big Ten. But this game between these two coaches, Buzz Williams, Micah Shrewsbury, two guys that, um, you know, if you have an opening right now as a major program, you probably mentioned those two names and talk about how great they are as coaches. So to see Buzz Williams versus Shrewsbury, this will be a good game. And these two teams, this will be a, a, a good battle. You know what I mean? I'm a big Radford fan. I like Tyrese Radford, Boots Radford uh, for yeah. Texas A&M. He's a great guard. Uh, we know he's going to go left, but he can still go left. I like that. <laughs> love guys uh, like that. Yeah, I love guys like that. Uh, so th- this game, what do you see from Penn State? Do you think they can make a run? Because I've seen a lot of Big Ten people uh, getting fired up about their chances of making, you know, potentially a Sweet Sixteen run. Yeah, Shrewsbury is is a is a coach that has some NBA pedigree. He's like a forward thinker. He's a guy that spent time with the Celtics. Uh, he. Yeah, if you look at like Penn State actually has a, a fifth year senior in Jalen Pickett. He like leads. I looked this up earlier because I, I suspected this might be the case, but he leads the country in uh, pick, pick and roll pass out efficiency. So he's a guy who just starts your offense. He makes good decisions. He's also a nearly a 38 point, 38 uh, percent shooter from three in the pick and roll. Uh, but he's an eight, 18 points, six assists, seven re, or rebounds. Yeah, he's uh hung. He's a big game guy. That's another thing to think about. You know, you want to look for guys that like elevate to the moment he's somebody that hung 41 on illinois this year and all of his big all his big outbursts this season have been against the powers of the big 10 so you you if you're looking for that he's somebody that i think will rise to the occasion he's some he's a name a character to watch if you're if you're just getting into college basketball jalen pickett watch for him to potentially go off in this he's become a darling of sorts and penn state and michael shrewsbury are kind of a darling of the big 10 if you talk to any big 10 fan if they're not talking about their team in particular They'll bring up Penn State and say they they like the way that Penn State plays the game. Uh, I like the way that they fought back against Purdue. They had a chance there at the end of that game. I, I thought it was over at one point. So that's the other encouraging part if you're a guy that you know believes in Penn State. And this is their first tournament since 2011, which is pretty shocking when you talk about a program uh, of that caliber and that level. So um, that's, a, that's a fascinating first-round matchup. Another, when we talk about the characters that are involved, there's a world in which Xavier, head coach by Sean Miller, who is a you know a beloved bagman on this program? He could play a fellow bagman who is now the head coach at Pitt. Uh, the Pitt Panthers sneak into the tournament and they could play Sean Miller. So we get an alma mater game and we also get a bag bowl of the century where we get Jeff Capel coaching against Sean Miller. It, do do we make this happen? We we need the officials to put the hit in because I need to show I need Sean Miller coaching against Pitt. That would be fun. I, f- I feel like it's like sort of a divine thing. I feel like the universe <laughs> would demand a sacrifice, right? right. Kind of like that thing in Avengers where you go to that altar on that planet and we drop a, a like a sacred you know, celestial bag and it makes this matchup happen. I think that's the only way we can make it happen, Tate. So I don't know. I'm willing to empty out all my savings for that matchup. I'd love to see it. 
that's all it takes. That's what we need. Uh, but yeah, that's that's really the biggest. Uh, those are the biggest storylines to me. I mean, Iowa Houston second round matchup. If that were to happen, I think that could raise some eye- eyebrows. I know everyone, like I was saying, will be in on Penn State being the Big Ten team to make a run, but I think Iowa potentially could just because of their offense, mm-hmm. and maybe that throws a little bit of a wrench, especially if Sasser, um, you know, with this growing injury, he's not a hundred percent. Who knows what could happen there? It. Yeah, I'm worried about, about it, it too. I also have a you know a gripe that I wanted to bring up with you quickly. Maybe a nice little tangent here. What's going on with wet spots on the court? What's going on? I mean, first Kevin Durant, now Marcus Sasser. You know, like what is happening with wet spots? What is going on with the towel guys? What is going on with the moppers? Um, what is going on with our custodians of the world? Are we not treating them with enough respects? You know, like what what can we do to to stop this from happening? Because I don't understand how that happened with Sasser. The KD thing still breaks my brain whenever I see the video. We got to yeah. stop this, Kyle. Uh, we yeah. we got to get out there and we got to wipe these floors. Big opportunity for Libman to to step in and sponsor, you know, be a sponsor of the tournament and be like, this shit has to stop. If I was the CEO of Libman, yes. I would get on and I'd just get on a Zoom and be like, just record this and send it to the the, the agency. I'd be like, this shit has to stop. We love to. hoops. I'd be like, Libman, wow, brand loyalty. I'm in. No, right. but I mean, like the uh, I'm with you. It's 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 wild. It's a, it's a thing that messes with you when you know the floor is slick. Number one. And the thing that can hurt you if you charge in there and you don't know that it's slick. But uh, yeah, the I, the Sasser thing worries me uh, because that's a really tweakable injury. Um, that was my like layman suspicion. And I, I asked one of my doctor friends if that was the case. And he said, tweakable. Yes, very tweakable. <laughs> very injury. tweakable. Yeah. Especially if you think about how like twitchy and on the ball, like it, it's just a tough injury to play basketball with, play any sport with moving laterally. So I, I'm worried about that for Houston because Sasser really is their like engine, their soul, their literal production leader he's their guy that kind of makes them go and it, it sort of uh cuts the head off of the snake for them in, in a way that sucks i i it i'm not gonna under doubt them because samson's a hell of a coach but you know it's it's a tough thing it's a tough beat for houston yeah it kind of changes the way that you look at that team a little bit and also we remember last year sasser the whole conversation was if they made the final four he was going to come back and play Obviously, they lost in the Elite Eight, so we never got that if, you know, that conditional statement didn't come through. So the fact that we could have this deja vu experience where it's like if they get to this round, then Sasser will be 100%. That worries me. That concerns me, especially because Houston, this was supposed to be the year where Kelvin Sampson kind of has his full coronation as, you know, the top guy in college basketball. So that's fascinating. One more point I wanted to to bring up before we move on uh, to the uh, West region is Texas Colgate. Um, Texas is always confounding when it comes to March, even when you believe in, in the group. I mean, we had the Abilene Christian experience a couple years back with Shaka Smart and you look at that roster with Kai Jones and Greg Brown and, you know, uh, Matt Coleman, all these Courtney Ramey, who's now playing at Arizona, a lot of talent and they lose in the first round. I am officially concerned. I am circling this game because Colgate leads the country in three point percentage as a team. They shoot around 43% from the three point line as a team. I feel like with the way Colgate plays, they're a disciplined group. They're a well-coached team. Rodney Terry, I think he's done a great job with this group. Obviously, we just saw Texas go and win the Big 12 uh, tournament championship. But I do concern myself with this matchup, and I do concern myself with the history of Texas basketball in March. Uh, If Colgate gets, don't let Colgate get hot. That's all I got to say. If I'm a Texas Longhorns, if I'm Matthew McConaughey, I am not going to be sitting at home content. (laughs) I am going to say close out on these shooters because if Colgate gets hot, I, I feel like this could be a major 215 upset. What say you, Kyle? 
Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely possible because if you think of kind of the basic four quads of modern basketball, they are efficient in all of them. They yes. are a, a really effective three-point shooting team in transition at almost 40%. Out of the pick and roll for a team stat, this is a pretty wild one. They shoot almost 45%, which is really, really crazy. Um, they're just you you hit it. I mean, they're a team that can that can really get rolling and they can also play out of the post. So they they check a lot of boxes. They make you guard them. They're not one dimensional. They're dynamic. They're going to test Texas. Uh, they're going to test test their uh, their discipline. And uh, it's I don't know. You, you wonder how much of that like that sort of Texas basketball curse thing starts to weigh on you. But these yeah. guys are young. A lot of these guys don't even know that what the heck we're talking about. When we start <laughs> talking about the burden of history and all this shit, they're like, what you all lost that game? They don't know. That's all kind of, we make it up, but you know, Cole gets definitely a team. I don't want to say it's St. Peter's E a little bit, you know, it's like, they, it just kind of reminds me of that. You know, they're, they're yeah. not a pushover. Yeah, it's a team that that got a great draw, weirdly, which is, uh, you know, is something strange to say for a 15 seed. Uh, but speaking of Cinderella's yes, and 15, that's a weird thing to say. It's a weird yeah. thing to say. Right. But yeah, like St. Yeah. Peter's great, great draw last year. Uh, speaking of Cinderella's, we oh. have Sports Center's Kevin Connors, who is going to join us. He is going to uh, come on right now and just do like he has this little mid-major top 10 that he does throughout the year. But he's going to break down some of these Cinderella's. We're going to do a Cinderella spotlight with Kevin Connors. Let him get in the weeds a little bit. And then we'll come back and we'll do the final two regions and break down our final picks before we get out of here. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast, he is a man that you have seen on SportsCenter plenty of times if you watch college basketball. He is a man that I know uh, as a good friend of the five-star basketball camp and also someone that is a good friend of Jim Beheim and Syracuse basketball. We'll talk about that at the end. But first and foremost, he is here joining us live from the Big 12 tournament. He is Kevin Connors. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Nate, really appreciate you having me at the, uh, at the best time of year in sports. It's such a fun time. Yeah, it's champ week, and you're at the best tournament, in my opinion, the best basketball there with the Big 12, and uh, we can talk a little bit about that, but the reason I wanted you to come on the show today, Kevin, is because you do something that I find fascinating. You do Casey's mid-major top 10, where you break down the Cinderella teams that are in college basketball, some of the teams that are not the new bloods, the blue bloods, or the true bloods that get all the attention, but the teams that are really good, really solid, and uh, that the fan may call a Cinderella, so I want to do some Cinderella spotlights here today because... We love the little guys on this show. And I looked at your latest Casey's mid-major top 10. We got San Diego State at number one. We know them in the Mountain West. I saw them at the Maui Invitational. We're going to skip them for now. St. Mary's, another team that I feel like America is keen on now. We know Randy Bennett. We know that group. We've seen them battle against Gonzaga. Maybe not so much in the last uh, iteration of the WCC title game, but you know St. Mary's has been great this year. But I want to start with Boise State. So they're number three on KC's mid-major top 10. What do we What do we want to know about this Boise State team this year, and what have you seen that makes you like them so much? They're they're one of the teams, Tate, that is led by a coach-son combination. We love that. And it's that. so funny. 
you know, we, we talk about what's a mid-major, and there's a, there's been a tremendous amount of argument over the years. Is San Diego State a mid-major? Well, right. look, obviously, they're a major program. They play in a mid-major conference. We could make a million qualifiers here. St. Mary's plays in the same conference as Gonzaga. We make the exception for Gonzaga, given the enormous success that, that program has had. Right. Boise State's right there on the verge, right? They're led by Leon Rice, finished second in the Mountain West behind San Diego State, tied atop that conference. Uh, his son, Max Rice, is a big-time player. Um, uh, Tyson Dagenhart averages 14 points a game. This is a team that has beaten San Diego State uh, in conference play this year, right. beat Colorado, beat a Utah Valley team that if not for an, one of the all-time worst losses in conference play, up three closing seconds, a four-point play, beats them in the WAC semifinals last night. Uh, that could have been a tournament team. It's a dangerous team. They're excellent defensively. And again, they take on the identity of their coach, Leon Rice, who I think is a power five coach. So there you go. The Boise State Broncos are a team to watch out for as we get to March. Number four on your list, you got Oral Roberts. And of course, I think the casual fan at home might remember, you know, Max Asmus, who goes on the run as a 15 seed, beats Ohio State. That was that was a big moment in time. We all remember that with uh, O'Banner. Kevin O'Banner ended up transferring to Texas Tech. But this Oral Roberts team, they are on one of the hottest uh, win streaks in the entire country, the one of the longest win streaks in the entire country. And it seems like they are a team that is not going to go under the radar this year, right? Everyone's seems to be keen on Oral Roberts. What have you seen from them, and uh, what do you like about this group this year? Hey, you know, Tate, if they're under the radar, people aren't doing their job because this right. is a team that ran the table in the regular season and the postseason in the Summit League. Paul Mills did a fabulous job with that team and the, the magical run they had to the Sweet 16 a couple of years ago. You mentioned Kevin O'Banner. We had a chance to see him here for Texas Tech in the Big 12 tournament. He's right. gone. But Max A. Smith is there again. He's a, he's a two-time player of the year in the Summit League. This is a team that, like a lot of the big boys, has taken advantage of the transfer portal. They added Connor Vanover, who the Power 5 college basketball fan may remember. Seven-foot-five player who played at Arkansas. Yep. A major rim protector, obviously a rebounder. He's added some scoring punch this year. They've got another transfer from Vanderbilt and Isaac McBride, who's a guy that gives them double-digit points. I love Oral Roberts in the tournament because of what Max Aismas has done before. But when you have a guy who can take over a game, and Aismas is that kind of player, a lot of, there's a lot of three seeds, four seeds that are going to say, oh, no, we got to play Oral Roberts. And again, a really well-coached team with Paul Mills. And it's almost a situation with Oral Roberts where you don't have to overthink it, right? I know a lot of people will say, well, that's going to be the Cinderella that I buy in, you know, and, and expect to maybe make it to the second weekend. And I think you're right to believe that, right? This team has checked all those boxes. They continue to win. You look at their record. I mean, 30 wins this season. It is hard to win 30 games in college basketball, no matter who you are. So the fact that Oral Roberts has done that, I mean, that is a team that we all have to watch out for. Number five on your list, Utah State, the Aggies. Um, I saw you tweeting about them a couple of weeks ago. Lenore Already has them right now as their as a last four in team, so they're right on the bubble. There's been a lot of conversation about how maybe they shouldn't be on the bubble given how good the conference is. If you're someone that subscribes to Kim Palm, you might believe that their conference is better than say my conference, the ACC or our conference, I should say, the ACC. Um, but what do you see from Utah State, and uh, do you think they're a team that's going to make some noise in March? I do. I think the metrics love them too. I mean, take their right. top twenty-five in the net and Ken Palm. They play in a, again, a league we can continue to have the conversation as the Mountain West of mid-major. I mean, they finished tied for second in that league, won 13 games. They've got 25 wins on the year. 
They're led by a guy who you may recall had a little bit of success in the month of March and Ryan Odom, who, of course, was the head coach at UMBC when they became the only 16 seed ever to take down a one seed when they beat Virginia. This is a Utah State team that beat Utah Valley by 17. They beat Bradley, who won the regular season in the Missouri Valley and lost in the championship of Arch Madness to a Drake team that we'll talk about. Yeah, They beat Bradley by 22. They beat Santa Clara. They beat Oral Roberts. They beat Nevada. I love Utah State. Uh, to me, I don't want to hear anything about th- them being a bubble team. They've got the metrics. They've got eight quad two wins. They've got one quad one win. That's a tournament team. Case closed. And I think a lot of people will see Utah State and see Ryan Odom and go, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. And, of course, you know, you trace your steps back, and that is the son of Dave Odom, who's a legendary coach that coached, you know, Tim Duncan and all these guys back in the day. So it's a great basketball family. Love the Odom family. Love to see Ryan Odom uh, doing well there. Another team that I saw earlier this year when North Carolina was the number one team in the country, the College of Charleston, um, a team that pushed them to the brink, that kind of got – everyone uh, tuned in early in the year and they go and win the CAA. What do you see from Charleston? And I think, you know, if you haven't watched Charleston, they're a really tough team. And uh, I think they may sneak up on some people once we get to March. What do I see about Charleston? I see a guy on the sidelines who makes me feel like I need to be at the gym. And Pat Kelsey, the the schmedium he wears and the workout (laughs) plan that he's on is tremendous. Listen, they played in the Colonial, which is a, um, it's not on the level of Mountain West. It's a very solid mid-major league with Hofstra, who had a fantastic season there. Speedy Claxton uh, coaching there. UNCW is a very good team. I got my buddy Zach Spiker does a great job at Drexel. They won 31 games, State. I mean, they're the CAA champions. They won 31 games. They have five guys who average in double figures, so it's not one guy who you can shut down. They've got a lot of different players who could beat you. And they didn't, they didn't do a lot of things outside of conference. But here's the problem when you start to talk about some of the best mid-major teams. And I think, you know, when we get into this time of year, people say, wow, who, come on, they play in this league and they haven't played anybody. Well, right. the problem is with schools like Charleston, the big boys don't want to play Charleston because, <laughs> because if you beat them, you're supposed to. And if you lose to them, it's a bad loss. So Charleston yeah. didn't get a ton of opportunities outside of their league. They did beat Virginia Tech early on in the year. Kent State is a team in the MAC who they have a, a, a notch on their belt. I think Charleston's a really good team. Are they capable of making? Uh, uh, are they a second weekend team in the tournament? I don't know because they don't have a star player, but they are certainly capable of winning a game because of the depth that they have. Yeah, and Charleston, when they beat Virginia Tech early in the year, that kind of, you know, I thought Virginia Tech was going to be be a team that would be in the tournament. So when that yes. happened, that uh, raised everybody's eyebrows and kind of changed the trajectory of their season a little bit, which is uh, something to point to. And also Charleston, for the AP Top 25 fans, I mean, they were in the AP Top 25 for a couple weeks this year. So they've been there. They've been on that stage. Uh, you mentioned them before, but Drake. Let's talk about Drake because, the, you know, second tournament in three years. Um, they're rolling. They're a team. I remember uh, a couple years back, they were the last undefeated team team in college basketball, which I always find is, a, you know, a fun little wrinkle when you look at the teams and, and where they are in the season. So with Drake and with this group, what do you see? And uh, I think Drake is another team that could be a second weekend Cinderella story. Yeah. And similar to Boise, they're a team that has a coach and a player combination, coach, father, son, coach, player combination. Um, that will be a story in, in the NCAA tournament. This is a team that won uh, the Missouri, uh, the uh, Missouri Valley Conference Championship lost the regular season championship uh, on the last day of the year when they played at Bradley. They lost that game. 
Darian DeVries will be at a Power 5 school next year. It's going to be a home run hire for a Power 5 program because it'll be a package deal. They'll get his son, Tucker DeVries, who's a big-time player, 19 points a game. I think that this team, I, I said it two weeks ago, before I even knew that they were going to the NCAA tournament, they're going to win a game in March. I know you're saying, listen, this mid-major guy is talking about a million teams that are going to win games. This team's going to win a game. They've got Roman Penn, a senior point guard who is a stud, uh, mm-hmm. averages double figures. He had a game this year, 18 assists, one turnover. Wow. Tate, I know you know, I know you know who, because I'll take an 18 to one assist to turnover <laughs> yeah, <that's> ratio good. <laughs> any day of the week. They beat Mississippi State, which is a tournament team, two wins against Bradley. I'm really, really high on Drake, and I'm very, very bullish on the future of the DeVries family in general. Yeah, same here. I think Drake, uh, that's a great program that they got rolling there. There's always a fun wrinkle in March where we have guys, you know, I think a lot of people will point to, you know, probably the most obvious one, a Stephen Curry that's at Davidson and kind of captures the zeitgeist a little bit coming from a a mid-major. What is one player, and I'll give you mine and then we'll go from there, what is one player that you think from this mid-major crop that can maybe capture the heart of America? And why is it Aiden Mahaney from St. Mary's? Because I (laughs) I think he might be the one. You know, I'll tell you this, um, you may not want to watch the first half when he plays, but the second half, he <laughs> he comes out, I, whatever he has at, ha- at halftime, give me some of that. He's he's a money player, you know, and again, you play, the WCC has, was, was forever, was Gonzaga's two, three-month hiatus until the NCAA tournament. Now, with the likes of St. Mary's and Santa Clara had a fabulous year. And, you know, Loyola BYU's, Marymount beat them. Loyola Marymount, yeah. yes. Loyola Marymount beat both St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Aiden Mahaney is, uh, he's big time. Like you said, he's freshman. Um, yeah. Logan Johnson, by the way, is a guy who in big games plays some of his best basketball. Randy mm. Bennett, been there, done that. 500 wins. He's a guy who has a system. They believe in it. They run it. They execute it. And you're right, Mahaney is a guy, he's a, he's a uh, he's a Moraga area kid there in Northern California. And, you know, how some of the Cal, Stanford, Oregon didn't jump all over him, I'll never know. But maybe, Tate, that speaks to where St. Mary's is as a program. And again, we're giving them the mid-major label only because they don't play in a Power 5 or a Power 6 conference. That's a program that is almost on the level of Gonzaga. And when you're having that conversation, you know how big time it is. So to your point, Mahaney is a great place to start because he's had a fabulous freshman year. Yeah, and I think it's good for Gonzaga and for Mark Few in general to have, you know, that WCC rival. And, you know, whenever they play each other, you can obviously see the respect between the two programs. And I mean, the WCC, just for me being in Los Angeles and being able to go to LMU games and being able to go to Pepperdine, you start seeing the talent that's in the WCC now, whether it's guys like a Brandon Pojimski who comes from Illinois, that's a former five-star kid, you know, that becomes that becomes a star with the WCC. So it's all it's all great. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more name. You want a guy yeah, who can take over a game in the, in the NCAA tournament, um, and he should be a guy who who people know about Jordan Jelly Walker at UAB. Absolutely. Uh, who, he, he's, you know, one of the top three, four scores in college basketball this year, 23 a game. Uh, he, he's, he's such a big time player. Andy Kennedy has done a great job at UAB. It's not just Jelly Walker. They have uh, uh, Eric Gaines, LSU transfer, 12 points a game. KJ Buffett, who played at Ole Miss is a very nice, I guess you'd call him complimentary player only because of Jelly Walker and the fact that he goes for 23 a game. UAB team that in CUSA plays Florida Atlantic. 
Uh, they play North Texas, another really good mid-major program. Best scoring defense in the country, uh, North Texas, the Mean Green. So, so Jelly Walker is a guy who's been there and done that. He's big time. He's another guy that I love. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate the the full rundown. That's a great Cinderella spotlight. One more thing before we let you get out of here, Kevin. I know that you are a Syracuse guy. You grew up going to Jim Beheim basketball camps. Jim Beheim steps away in Greensboro at the ACC tournament. Just want to get your thoughts quickly, uh, you know, about how how great Jim Beheim is, uh, you know, as a basketball coach and how much he meant to you personally. You know, Tate, I'm 48 years old, um, and he's been the coach of my team for every year but the first year of my life i mean wow it's uh you know you'll never see it again the analogy was made the other day i i, I thought it was an original thought of mine but i guess michael wilbon made it as well he, connie <laughs> mack oh, you know right. i mean who 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 lasts 10 years at a job anymore i mean let's put it in perspective like this in 1987 uh, the national championship run, the loss to Indiana, one of the formative moments of my childhood. You know, Beheim had been the coach at Syracuse there for 10 years wow. when they made their first NCAA championship. 16 years later, he's still coaching the team when they win their first championship in 2003. 20 years later, when he's still coaching the team after coaching two of his sons from his second marriage, you know, he had those, he had Buddy and Jimmy when he was older and he coaches both of them for all of and the bulk of their college careers. You'll never, ever see a run like that again. You know, Jim was, uh, is not the most cuddly guy in the room. He's not that kind of guy. He, you know, a lot of people don't know that his dad was a mortician. He had a little bit of a different upbringing. He's an upstate slash central New York guy through and through. He turned um, Syracuse University into an un unquestionable college basketball power. Four Final Fours, multiple Big East championships, incredible runs in the ACC. Um, right there with Mike Krzyzewski, would be right there on the all-time wins list, if not for an absurd uh, rule that the NCAA has when they take wins away which isn't to say that Syracuse always did things by the letter of the law. I'm not but excusing we, but that. But we know how ridiculous all that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, like, captain hindsight. Yeah. It's, it, you know, let's punish Siena when they do something wrong, but not go after other schools. Right. Anyway, the point is, um, you know, the players that went through there, from Pearl Washington to Sherman Douglas to Ronnie Cycli, Derek Coleman, Billy Owens, Stevie mm. Thompson, Lawrence Moten, who was the all-time leading scorer in Big East history, Jerry McNamara, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Carter-Williams. Um, you'll never see anything like it again. Yeah, he is uh, truly a one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, as someone that covered him when, you know, they do like ACC media days back in the day when I was a beat reporter, you know, there's a certain wry humor that comes with Jim Beheim that if you get it, you know that he's kind of, you know, that's just who he is. And and eventually it, it grows on you. And uh, I don't know. I, I always found Jim Beheim, you know, kind of like this amazing basketball resource. And even doing the five-star project, being able to talk to him about these other coaches, you realize what a beautiful basketball mind he has. Um, and he had such an impact on the game. And that 2-3 zone, right? Whenever I see a 2-3 zone, I think of Jim Beheim. So um, that is, uh, that is uh, I really appreciate you getting into the weeds there and letting us know how he, how he personally felt to you and appreciate 
um, your time today, breaking down all the mid-majors. I'm so excited for Selection Sunday. I hope you have a great day uh, at the Big 12 tournament, and we appreciate you coming on One Shining Podcast. Tate, really appreciate you having me, and uh, enjoy the rest of the month of March. Oh, yes. Appreciate you, Kevin. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, there you have it, Kevin Connors. I, uh, I, I feel very much uh, informed about the Cinderella's. And I want to point out for the listeners at home, we talked on Saturday when he was at the Big 12 tournament, and he brought up at the end Jelly Walker. He was hoping that UAB and Jelly Walker would be uh, a tournament team, but did not happen. They lost to Florida Atlantic. They, they are not going to be in the tournament. So sorry to Kyle, uh, you know, our, our guy, producer Kyle, who was loving the idea of Jelly Walker being Kyle's man uh, for the tournament, but it will not happen this year. But wanted to clean up that 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 end point of the conversation. But let's keep it going, uh, Kyle, man, because we got to talk about the West region, which is uh, featuring the Kansas Jayhawks, the reigning national champs. They are a number one seed for the 16th time in program history. As I mentioned before, Bill Self is discharged from the hospital and is planning to coach this team. So uh, no no questions about uh, you know who's going to be on the sidelines for Kansas. It does sound like it's going to be Bill Self. Um, they are the third one seed, and they have a very fascinating 8-9 game uh, between two programs that have a whole lot of talent, especially if you're an NBA guy. You probably like both these programs, and you probably enjoy watching both these teams, depending on how they show up. Um, but I'm, of course, talking about Arkansas and Illinois. Kyle, man, what do you see if you're Kansas? Because they did not get the best draw. First, they lose out on Kansas City, and now they have an 8-9 matchup that is featuring two very very talented teams with a lot of NBA talent as well. Yeah, the the big thing here is is the 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 variance again. I mean, it's just like you could you could definitely see these are teams that are like lather offensive teams like when they get into a lather they can just put up points in bunches and I I just kind of zoomed out and looked at this at this region man and just the perimeter talent that is in this region in general is pretty wild there's a lot if you look at UConn if you look at down at Gonzaga UCLA Boise has some guys uh, but Arkansas and Illinois are two teams that are sort of distressed assets as teams like Arkansas I think absolutely was on track to be a fantastic team when Trayvon Brazil went down I know you were out there you got to see them yeah when I watched them against Creighton that game they lost in Maui I was like at the end of the year this team is going to be humming. scary scary yes. yes and Nick Smith has been in and out of the lineup Nick Smith is a guy that I am really high on and he can just go off so you get uh, and then I think the other thing here is but you don't want to assume that they're going to get 
get there because Illinois has a weird as hell team too. Uh, <laughs> right. That like has a couple guys in uh, in Terrence Shannon and, and Jordan are in Coleman Hawkins. Uh, Shannon is like a guy who can just erupt, and then Coleman Hawkins is this bizarre Justin Jackson sort of like I, I compared him to Justin Jackson light on our draft show. Um, he's somebody that can really pass the ball at his size. He's just sort of a connective playmaker type. Uh, I think Kansas could and should beat both of these teams, but this is a just classic, classic, classic eight, nine thing that, to be worried about for Kansas. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, Illinois is fascinating because Hawkins is their lead assist, man. You know, he's the guy that leads the team in assists, which makes no sense because he's a point forward. Basically they had the sky Clark. Sky Clark was a five-star kid that, you know, decided to leave the team in January. Then they have Jaden Epps step up and Jaden Epps has been, you know, been great at, at times. He's shown flashes, but they're still trying to figure out kind of who can orchestrate and initiate their offense. You know, TJ Shannon, Terrence Shannon is one of those guys that can do that, but it's not necessarily something that you want to have all the time because he's tend, he tends to be looking for his shot more so than trying to get other guys yeah. involved. The one X factor with Illinois that scares me if I'm Kansas is Dane Danger. They're big, man. I, I think Dane Danger is such a force, and if they are able to play inside out, and that I mean, and they, incredible rap name too, Dane Danger. Yeah, like, Kyle, just kinda, our producer Kyle should probably be in on Dane Danger. That might be one of it. It's DJ Burns and Dane Danger, are probably the two guys I would say that should be up on the board. Um, but Danger, we need to make a board. Yeah, we, we, yeah we I need, need to, to make. Why a we board. do that? <laughs> yeah, we'll put a board together. Uh, best guys for Kyle. Uh, but yeah, Dane Danger is the guy that that I really think could change the way that Illinois plays and the way that they match up with Kansas if they get there, like you said, where you have a KJ Adams who's this six foot seven, six foot eight kind of, you know, switchable five. But what happens when he's playing, you know, kind of a throwback and a Dane Danger who's gonna go after him and body him? So that that could be interesting. And Anthony Black on Arkansas, if yeah. you, you haven't watched Arkansas. Anthony Black just oozes talent. Now he makes some decisions that are questionable. There are times where you're like, what you know, you just almost want to shake him and say, Hey man, if you lock in, you're the best player on the court. Um, he's that type of talent. So if those guys in that backcourt, you know, kind of click and and find some fluidity with each other with him and Nick's uh, you know, Nick Smith, I think that there's a world in which Eric Musselman, as we've seen before in March, makes a nice little run and uh I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. This will be a good coaching showdown as far as getting red in the face and yelling at the officials and and making threats and things like that as well. Because uh, I, we love Brad Underwood on the show. On this show, uh, Katie Underwood, his daughter, was a former intern. Love her to death. Uh, so so I, I have Illinois in my heart at some level. But, you know, the must bus, you, you can't deny the must bus sometimes. So those two guys head to head is going to be fun. You talk about characters. Those guys are maniacs. Uh, oh, my so that- God. Muss is, <laughs> Muss is a wild man. But I think the blueprint for Arkansas, like it, it could end up being a slog. It could be the it could end up being the opposite of what we think. And it just could mm. be ugly because, you know, the blueprint is dare Arkansas to shoot because they're so erratic. You know, maybe they get hot and they hit some, but maybe they just don't because they, they overall are a pretty inefficient team uh, off the catch shooting the ball. So. I don't know. I, I they'd make me nervous if I'm Kansas, but if Kansas handles business, they should get out of there. It's just kind of one of those that could be it could be ugly for them. And Ricky Council the fourth uh, on Arkansas is another character we should mention. Maybe arguably their best player on this team. And his brothers, his brother, his oldest brother is Ricky Council the second. His uh, middle brother is Ricky Council the third, and he's Ricky Council the fourth. So uh, he is a star. You know what I mean? When I heard that for the first time, I'm like, and then I found out he's from North Carolina. I'm like, sign 
me up for Ricky Council forever. So he's going to be, uh, I got to get that jersey at some point. I need the Ricky Council, the fourth jersey. So that, that's a fascinating matchup. Now let's talk about the main character of the entire tournament um, and of college basketball and basketball at large. He, of course, is a man that goes by one name, and it's Patino. Um, we all know him. We all love him. And we got an amazing 413 matchup down in the West. We got UConn, the Connecticut Huskies, who have won nine of their last 11 games, going up against the 13 seed Iona Gales. And uh, I remember once upon a time, I think it was, was it Manhattan was the 13 seed? And uh, they played Louisville. That was a four seed, and there that was an upset game. So I feel like this is this weird uh, moment, flip in history, watershed time where now Rick Pitino can be that four seed, and he can coach in his first Big East game before he officially takes the St. John's job. Uh, Kyle, what do you see from the Gales, and do, do are we going to have as much fun as I hope we have with Rick Pitino versus Dan Hurley because they're both insane as well? Well, I saw that we got in uh, Mike Rutherford, uh, our U of L buddy, tweeted out a pretty nice Rick Patino fist pump that I, that I enjoyed watching on Twitter, <laughs> where right. we just see that competitive, I love that, that competitive <laughs> rage that is under there. That he just like he he does, you know, he, somebody will do one thing and you just be like, oh, that person's unhinged, like right. they're just like pretending to be normal. Yeah, Patino Patino seems like he's back in his bag and his groove. Both of these teams defend the three point line really well. Uh, that's something to watch. So I kind of wonder if it's going to come down to how many efficient points near the rim are they going to be able to get? And I think UConn's going to have them there. You know, they have they have a lot of size on the front line with Sonogo and and even the backup, uh, the backup big. What's that guy's that? Matthew. Um, what's their backup? Oh, Klingon. Donovan Klingon. Oh, Donovan Klingon. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, for some reason, I was thinking I had it wrong. Uh, but yeah, they 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 have a lot of size. I feel like that could end up being a pivotal part of this game. Uh, because they, I could see them sort of scheming each other to a headlock, to a to a deadlock there, uh, with the perimeter defense and production. But uh, you know, Connecticut has a lot of offense. Like Jordan Hawkins is a, is a hell of a shooter off the catch. Uh, he can he can do a little bit off the dribble too and get hot. I I think they kind of have that tournament vibe that you were talking about. You know, this weekend when we were watching them play Providence, they withstood a lot of runs uh, when it when it looked like it was going to get saucy for them. I think. As entertaining as I think Iona would be here, uh, I kind of feel like UConn's going to pull this off. I'm kind of in a chalk mood this year, Tate. I don't know why. Is that, yeah. am, I, am I crazy? <laughs> I think you're right here. I feel like I, my heart, you know, th there's always a conversation where it's your head versus your heart. You know, I kind of do two brackets, head versus heart. Uh, my heart wants Iona so bad because we need Rick Pitino. We really do. We need him in the Sweet 16. But my head is saying, like you said, UConn's just a better team. They have more depth. They're, they're constructed to be an actual Final Four potential title type team. I've seen a lot of people talking about the Kimba Shabazz run. To me, this UConn team is more of the Emeka Okafor, Ben Gordon, you know, ilk. That that is more of what this UConn team represents. That they have some traditional bigs. They have Hawkins who can get you buckets. They have a nice group of X factors like the Carabans of the world. You know what I mean? That. I find them more built for a real run in March than maybe ever before. But if I'm a UConn fan, if I'm a Husky, I'm pretty upset about this draw. We get Rick Pitino, uh, a team uh, coached by Rick Pitino in the first round, a team that is really kind of underrated with their talent. Like they're, they're more talented, talented than a traditional Iona team probably mm -hmm. should be or would be without the recruiting of Sir Rick Pitino. Um, and then if you win, if you beat Rick Pitino, let's say you survive that game, you get to the next round and you go against St. Mary's with Randy Bennett. And Randy Bennett's one of the best coaches in the country. If you look at his wins right now, I think he's third of active coaches. He might even be higher now with Bayheim out of the game. So you're Dan Hurley. You go Rick Pitino, Randy Bennett. You know, in, in college, and March Madness is about coaches. 
So the fact that you get to go up against these two high-level, high-high-level coaches in the first two rounds, I mean, if I'm Dan Hurley, I'm a little upset about that, and I feel like maybe someone uh, who's putting this bracket together is trying to maybe send me a message about the way I behave. Who knows? I'm not going to read. I'm not going to read too much in you know between the, the lines police. there. Yeah, Karma Police is coming after him because uh, I I really I thought UConn was a team that I, I was waiting to see what their draw was, but I was going to talk myself into UConn being you know Elite Eight, Final Four. Who knows? And now with this draw. I, I if they make it to the Sweet 16, I think that's a major success. I think they should ride home about that and say, "Hey, we, we had a great year because we beat Rick Pitino and beat Randy Bennett potentially." So that th- those are my big picture thoughts about the UConn Rick Pitino draw because uh, that was a little unfair for everybody. Um, another draw that I find fascinating in the in this region in the West region, just for the uh, the optics and the conversation. Gonzaga, who's going to 23 straight tournaments, Mark Few doing amazing things, as we know. They're going up against Grand Canyon, um, and Grand Canyon is a feisty team, and Grand Canyon is a team that is bankrolled by Jerry Colangelo, and Jerry Colangelo, if you don't know, (laughs) he is basically one of the godfathers, Illuminati basketball guys, you know, like he's the one that constructed the Team USA stuff. He's the one that picked Coach K to be the head coach. Jerry Colangelo's hands are in everything. Very similar to like a Jerry West, where somehow or another Jerry West is involved when success happens. We don't know how it works, but it always works. Somehow, um, yeah. So Grand Canyon is the is a team. I'm not saying they're going to upset Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga, if there was ever a year for them to make a run, maybe it is in this West region. But I do find uh, that first round matchup. What do you know about Grand Canyon, and what what do you see from Gonzaga? Do you think Gonzaga can make a real run this year? I, I, in the early rounds, I, I feel like Gonzaga is going to take care of business just because they have an efficient thing. You know, we all tease Drew Timmy and it's just kind of he's a character that I think everybody's kind of become familiar with in the last, <laughs> you know, the rubbing the mustaches and blowing the kisses and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like Gonzaga has a thing that works in the early rounds and they they use they have a way of kind of pummeling teams early on because they are efficient at what they do. And then when they hit up against that, they we've seen it over and over again. They bump up against that different class, whether that's in the finals, you know, that where they were more prepared to do it with Jalen Suggs and they had better athletes. Um, it just kind of tends to happen and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to overcome it before it does, they're gonna have to break the trend. Uh the other thing here too, I think that people kind of beeline to was uh, the potential Sweet 16 matchup that we might get. We might get some UCLA-Gonzaga redemption. These are two teams that are sort of linked together. Are you excited about seeing that? I uh, Every time I see those two teams, I know I should probably think of the Jalen Sugg shot. That's what I should go to because, I mean, what an epic moment, him running and jumping up on the scores table. And I was in Indiana when that happened, but also we weren't at the game because of the pandemic and there was no yeah. crowd there. So weirdly... In my mind, when I hear UCLA Gonzaga, I don't go to that iconic moment. I don't either. I, I don't right. either. I go I, away. But I go back. Yeah. Right. We. I. I go back to Adam Morrison. I mean, I think that's that's the game. Whenever I think of UCLA Gonzaga, I go back to that game, and and it just kind of sits with you at some level because it was so insane. And and obviously, you and I both, you know, it sticks in your mind because it was so visceral a reaction when you saw it live. And you, Adam Morrison, in my opinion, was so clearly the best player in college basketball. And it, it felt like he was destined to make a Final Four run. It just had to be. Of course he would. He, he's unstoppable. And then it just just the meltdown of that moment and the way that UCLA just kept figuring it out with Ben Howland's group, 
it, it just that like is etched in my mind forever. So weirdly, when the UCLA Gonzaga rematch or whatever comes up, I don't even think about Suggs. Which there are UCLA players to... who were in that game in Hawkins and Campbell. But right. yeah, I just think maybe for us, do you think Adam Morrison goes back out there for like the cyclical nature of it? Does he just go back out there and, and sit down and cry just like just to get the, get the uh, camera money shot? I think that's the move, right? I, I feel so much for Adam Morrison <laughs> and the crazy part is when Suggs hit that shot, you know, in Indiana in 2021, you know, he's calling the radio. He's doing the radio broadcast um, for Gonzaga. Uh, Adam Morrison is. So Adam Morrison sees Suggs hit the shot. There was just this video that came out where it's his reaction and it's so pure and it it's like just so there, there's some sort of vindication of all of it. It's like, oh, it was all for this moment. And it felt so perfect for you for uh you know Gonzaga to go and play Baylor and then eventually win the national championship in the home of the place of the last undefeated team with Indiana in 76 right it just it was this whole storybook perfect ending that just felt like it was perfectly scripted for college basketball until Scott Drew and Baylor just said nah we're not down for that yeah. <laughs> we're gonna hit you in the mouth kick the shit out of them and yeah, just was... absolutely punk them like the game was over 10 minutes in you know um so I, I always am fascinated still by the Gonzaga story because they still haven't gotten the one thing that they're looking for to validate everything. Even though they've had so much postseason success, they're yeah. still searching for it. Um, and, and that's why, like, I saw Clark Kellogg pick them to win it, right? And I feel like every year, Gonzaga is the pick, right? Everyone's like, oh, well, of course, Gonzaga. And then it doesn't work out. People are like, you're an idiot. Even if Gonzaga goes to the Final Four, goes to the National Championship, you're still an idiot for picking Gonzaga. And I think that we're, we're at a point where maybe if they cross paths with UCLA again, there's some sort of sliding doors moment where maybe Gonzaga wins this time just because of the Jalen Clark implications of things like that, they make the final four and maybe they do finally get over the hump. And now I'm, now I'm the idiot talking myself into it, Kyle. I, I don't know what happened, but I could see that because I like the defense uh, of this Gonzaga group. And if you watch the WC cha WCC championship game against St. Mary's, the ball pressure, and they picked up full court pretty much the entire game, they had my attention. And I left that game and I said, if Gonzaga plays defense like that, if they decide to be that intense on the defensive end, I think they could beat anybody in the country potentially. And maybe this is the year that Mark Few finally does it. He finally gets over the hump. You ready to pick it? You gonna is that are no. you are you willing to go out there and do that? I, or are you... I'm not I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be Clark Kellogg. But I <laughs> I appreciate that they uh that they have that conversation going. You know what I mean? That's that is something that has my attention. One more thing I did want to point out as far as uh, you know, notes and and things in this uh in this region. We do have uh the UNC Asheville Bulldogs. Um and they have a character, Drew Pember, who is uh a guy who transferred from Tennessee. Uh he's like a six nine. He kind of gives me Josh McRoberts vibes. He, he's very much a McBob type player, archetype. I'm not sure he's a he's an NBA guy, but maybe if you are an NBA shades of guy like KOC, you might say shades of a Josh Giddy or something like that. Cause he's just kind of the six nine. Maybe that's too much. That's too much. Probably the NBA people. Oh, I mean, it's mind. high praise. I'm not it's, you know, if you want to say shades of shades of is a very open concept. I don't want to speak for Kevin. It's but like it's how like, many shades? You know, how many shades? Uh, nobody but, can uh, really indict you on that. They're just like, oh, it was a light shade. If anybody it, comes after you, I didn't say what swatch of, you know, I didn't say yeah. the Pantone number of what shade right. it was. Right. You know, it's so a, it's a light me. shade. It's a light yeah. shade of Josh Giddy. But I think UNC Asheville, the Bulldogs, uh, they're gonna give UCLA a little a little bit of a game, maybe more so than many would expect. And if you've watched UCLA, they tend to come out a little flat at times and then they handle business as the game wears on. So that's yeah. another character in another game that might be fun in the first round.
I'm going to throw another one out there that I think is interesting. And I was kind of at Lunardi actually projected Kentucky to play this team in the first round. And I was just like, son of a uh, Boise state is actually a pretty competent basketball team that I think uh, people should check out and keep an eye on. They're a big time shooting team. Uh, they have wins. They have wins over Texas A&M and Colorado this year. They yep. they led Texas A&M actually the whole game. Uh, they're a weird small ball-y type team. They have a guy Tyson Deganhart who's their big guy. Uh, he's just like a good screener, a good ca- a good passer, a good cutter. Uh, and Chibozo Agbo, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a Texas Tech transfer. That's and then the theme of these of this tournament. It's been a recurring thing, Tate. But like the the transfers, I feel like we've just kind of like taken. We've seen some of this in football too, but we're just like spreading the the days of the the like waves of players who are going to stick around for years and wait their turn are over. So we're seeing guys just bounce around. There are a few more in the tournament I want to hit on before we go. But Boise State, I think, is a team that could be a headache in that in that region for sure. And I think a lot of people are going to be keen on picking Northwestern because there's so many journalists that went to Northwestern and I want to give them Always. their due, their tip of the cap, you know, as a big J myself salute. We understand it. We see it. Chris Collins, second tournament for them as a program. I mean, he has every right. In my opinion, if I'm Chris Collins, I'd be calling coach K every day and say, it should have been me. I, I deserve that. It should have <laughs> been my job. Uh, look what I did at Northwestern. Bill Foster could never. You know what I mean? You, that would if be you had to, if you had to compare. You've seen Succession, right? Have you watched? Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Would you? Where? Who, who would you compare Chris Collins to among the Logan Roy sons? Is he more? Is he he's more, more Tom? He's Tom. He's, he's Tom. Oh, yeah. so like adopted son. So he's just sort of right. an affable. Okay. I, I mean, see. in reality, Chris Patola is Tom. You know what I mean? Like he's actually married to to Coach sure. K's daughter. So literally, he is Tom. But I think in the conversation that we're talking about, actual candidates for the Duke job. Um, I think he would be the guy. He he would be Tom. And I also want to flag this for everyone that's listening. Coach K to Army is not done. You know what I mean? Like no the, the, way. The, the chance, he's <laughs> helping with he's helping with the search. And I do think there's a world in which that his search leads back to him. You know what I mean? Let, let's just like let's I'll make sure. Get it? He Pat Riley's it and just kind of yeah. jumps in. It, I, it, I mean, they haven't gone to an NCAA tournament. I think aren't they like the only team that hasn't right. in the in the. I'm not going to lie. I would love to see it just because I don't know. I, the things you hate are the things that are the most entertaining at the end of the day. (laughs) That's why I've come around to love Rick Pitino. I'm just like, damn it, Rick, you gave me some of the best years. We miss you. I don't know. Do you miss it? It's too good to be true. And if Rick, if Rick leaves Iona, here's my big picture pitch. As far as I think there's an arms race happening in college basketball for most wins all time. And I think Jim Beheim is on a quest to take it away from Mr. K coach K. And I think he's going to go to Iona when Rick Pitino leaves. He's going to go three more years with a New York school that's plug and play. They're already doing all the Patino stuff. He goes in there, keeps stacking up wins. K gets worried. He's like, my my record is not as set as I want it to be. I want it to be light years ahead of these other guys. I got to plug back in one last run, get him back to his alma mater, get him to Army. I mean, and then college basketball is Jim Beheim, Coach K. I mean, Jim Calhoun plugged back in and, and everyone let it, you know, we, we were all okay with it. So, yeah. In my mind, I think it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. I know that was a nice tangent, but you know, K to Army is kind of the equivalent of that Carl Malone L.A. Gear shoe commercial <laughs> where he like they're like, "What are you coming out of retirement?" And he was like, "The scoring title is at hand." Yeah, and that was 
that's kind of what that reminds me of. Like K- Coach K coming back to Coach Army is just sort of like Carl Malone, Ellie Gear. I don't know. <laughs> it, maybe it's better than that. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I'll have to look I, that commercial up. That was in the recesses of my brain and just that, popped to the top. But that's yeah. a that's a great commercial, a great moment in time. And also, I feel like if K did come back, the comeback announcement via Nike would be electric. I, I really do. I think it would be <laughs> it would be the funniest thing we've ever seen in our entire lives. And he would definitely be all over Sports Center. And he would say the entire time, "It's not about him. It's about." About army it's, it would go to another level it would go to another level because then he would have the whole troops element to wrap into it <laughs> of because course then, he, then he'd be able to get all the sanctimonious stuff just like this I is see, for God I and country that i slam come back. magazine america's <laughs> coach and it's mr k i mean i i say he should do it i don't know why he's not doing it we miss him we need him back oh my god all right I let's get to the final that. region let's get to the east region uh the fourth number one seed uh i'm glad i got kyle laughing that's what we want uh purdue oh is the number one seed in the East region. The first time they were a number one seed since 1996. So shout out to Purdue. Shout out to Neil Armstrong for making all this possible. But the one bad news and the one bad note, if you are a Purdue fan, as you look at your bracket, Kyle, they have the hardest eight seed. I, I'm not saying the eight, nine game is, is determined, predetermined. It's going to be a tough game with Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic's had a great season. But Memphis is a very, very good eight seed. Last year, we remember, they took Gonzaga. They were up at halftime. They gave them a great game. Jalen Duran was awesome in that game for Memphis. Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams, when you talk about uh, you know duos in college basketball, that might be my favorite group of running mates right there, those two guys. They are so much fun. Um, obviously, you know Kendrick Davis spent all of his time at SMU. DeAndre Williams is 26 years old. These, these guys are vets. They're fun. <laughs> they have amazing stories. Penny Hardaway loves them. They're basically, you know, they're parts of Penny on the court. They have such a great relationship. If you watch the, the championship today against Houston, you could see that. They're, they're just great guys. And when I'm Purdue, if I'm looking at teams that concern me, it's athletic teams, right? And, oh, yeah. and, and teams that are going to put pressure on the ball. And Memphis is a team that can do that. And they also have Lomax and they also have Kendrick Davis. And I think that backcourt is going to be something to deal with. And am I crazy to think Memphis could spoil the whole party here uh, in the East as an eight seed, Kyle? Because it, it looks like it worked out pretty well for them. I think it's pressuring the ball, but it's also like really stressing Purdue's uh, point of attack defense. And we've seen Kendrick Davis made a dude fall down today. I don't know if you saw that clip. He is cooking right now. Uh, And you're right. I mean, DeAndre Williams, he's actually reaching his physical prime in in college, which is pretty awesome. You know, (laughs) at at nearly 28, he statistically should be peaking right now, which is awesome. You love to see it. This is supposed to be his first championship year. Like if he was in the NBA, it's like 26, (laughs) 27. (laughs) <laughs> He's added all the pieces. It's like it's all kind of coming together. Uh, I was looking back at Purdue, nine, 96. I forgot that. I was like, 96 Purdue. I was like, it's Brad Miller. That was yeah. Brad Miller was their second leading score. Wow. That's a, that's a real <laughs> callback. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't want to see them just because they fit that archetype of the thing that's going to stress them. And we saw last year that like, um, that when whenever Purdue got spread out and that we thought that this might be sort of a Ewing theory year for Purdue, you know, because Jaden, uh, Jaden Ivey isn't there anymore. What they have is cohesive and it's working. But I do wonder about the athleticism on the perimeter causing them problems and spreading them out because Penny has this group playing together, man. I mean, they came in today ready to play. Houston was a little bit, uh, you know, the bullets were flying. They were a little shell shocked from their leader not being there. And there's a whole lot of like dynamic stuff that factors into that when you're trying to get it going in that and Memphis was ready to play. Uh, I just think it's interesting. You know, you and I were talking about how these nineties players that were coaches 
there's been a feistiness among them because the coaching establishment has just kind of been like not very friendly to former. Have you sent some of this? I just feel like there's been a yeah. little bit of come. You're not a coach, man. Like don't of step into this and expect you can parachute in. Penny was feisty. Penny, you know, with his, and it's interesting that his more talented team, uh, he's kind of, I think this is his best coaching job since he's been at Memphis. And I think this would be a way for him to step in and beat Matt Painter. And the interesting thing about the eight, nine game is you effectively become the one seat from that point on. So you, you have driver's seat. doesn't mean it gets any easier, uh, but I, I think it could happen. But do, it, do you think, do you think Florida Atlantic spoils it? Is the question. Yeah. That's the only thing that worries me about Memphis. I'm more worried about the first round matchup than the Purdue matchup. I think if they get to the Purdue game, then, then I'm really buying stock in what Penny and Memphis can do because it, it kind of fell perfectly. The bracket kind of played out exactly how I think if you ask Penny, even off the record, what he was hoping, you know, he's like, look, if we're an eight, nine, I'll take Purdue. I'll take the fourth one seed and we'll, and we'll see what happens. We like our chances, especially going up against that backcourt um, with our veteran guys. I mean, I think Kendrick Davis is 24. You know what I mean? And you're, you're going against Braden Smith, who I like Braden Smith. You know, he's a guy that gets everyone involved. I mean, he, if he's having six plus assists, he doesn't even need to score because he impacts the game in that way. But I think Kendrick Davis is a, a playmaker, going to put him on skates, going to pick him up full court. I mean, there there's just a conversation to be had about how tough Memphis is. And Penny, in general, has sort of, um, at first it felt like he was trying to ruffle feathers. He was trying to almost be combative. And now it feels like, you know, I almost feel bad for him because I don't think he's getting enough respect. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I really I really think that it's insane that he went and beat Houston today, a team that everyone said before was going to be the number one overall seed over Alabama. And it, granted, we know Sasser didn't play, but Kendrick Davis didn't play when they played, you know, at Houston earlier in the season. And Penny didn't go in the press conference and say, you know, KD didn't play today. He didn't say that. He just was like, yeah, it was a tough game. Thought we had a chance. They should have won last week against Houston. That was a game that was right yeah. there for the taking. Um, and this is the first time in program history that Memphis has beaten the number one team in the country. Granted, they haven't had that many opportunities, you know, in program history. And they themselves were number one at one point when they had Derrick Rose and Coach Cal. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Penny deserves more res respect. And Matt Painter is viewed by many as the best coach in college basketball. So if Penny was able to match up with him in a 1-8 game and get a win, I think that would probably be the moment where, you know, the Jeff Goodmans and all these type of, you know, college basketball media, quote unquote, would maybe change course a little bit and maybe give Penny some favorable coverage because Penny is such a nice guy. Whenever I talk to the older NBA players like the Dominique Wilkins and BJ Armstrongs, those type of guys, and I ask about Penny, like when he first came out there, I was like, why did Penny not become Michael or one of these guys? You know, what, what was it? And they were like, Penny was so nice. Right. Huh. You kind of had to have a little bit of a, a, a that asshole, you know, quality, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. that that that's what it is. And now I think weirdly as a coach, Penny has taken that on that he probably didn't have as a player. Right. I mean, Shaq tells him he's leaving. He finds out in the paper and Penny's like, oh, man, I hate to hear it. You know, he's not he's like he's not fighting him. He's not saying bad stuff about him. You know, he almost is a little bit passive. And I think as a coach, he sticks his neck out there a little more. And I, I hope he gets his credit. So you think it's kind of the Carl Towns thing whenever Carl Towns tried to put on the, he got tired of getting picked on and stuff and he just tried to put on the tough guy thing. We we're all just like, Carl, come on, man. Like, right. You're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. Just relax. Just relax. You can, you can win and be cool. It'd be nice. No, yeah. I think that's true. And I, I wanted to ask you too, the, uh, we talked about Penny's uh, jacket last week, man. 
those Memphis uniforms today, I just have to say, I have to give a shout to the designer of that. I thought that was sick. I thought they took chances. It was bold, but it wasn't too much. I just wanted to get that out there. Florida Atlantic, though, um, has a couple of sophomore guards in John L. Davis and Elijah Martin. They can really score. I'm going to I'm gonna use like an old schooly term here. They can score the ball, son. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that that's something. And, and it's a funny thing whenever you start looking ahead. And I feel like I've experienced this rooting for my own team is whenever you're like, man, brackets open, you, lo- you lose the next day. So you don't want to overlook Florida Atlantic. Do you think there's any chance Florida Atlantic pulls it off? I think that, that I think they definitely can pull it off. I mean, I yeah. think if you're Florida Atlantic, you're probably, I don't know, I think you're probably happy with your draw as an 8-9 game, and you've had a great season. Like I mentioned, Jelly Walker before, I mean, they handled UAB. I thought UAB was going to win that game. I really did. I thought UAB was, I, I was kind of high on UAB, and then I watched Florida Atlantic handled them with ease. That confirmed even more that they're a really good, tough team, and they were another team that if you care about the AP poll, which you probably shouldn't, we probably all shouldn't, but you know, Florida Atlantic was in the AP poll at one point. They They've had a great season, and um, if Memphis can survive that game, now we're cooking, now we're talking. Um, another uh, heavy hitter game is the 5-12 game, and it's uh, the Duke Blue Devils taking on Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts has won 17 straight games. They are led by Max A. Smith. Uh, we all remember A. Smith's run to the Sweet 16 when they beat Ohio State uh, You know, as a two-seed, Ohio State or Ohio State was the two seed. They were the 15 seed. Um, you know, that was with O'Banner, who eventually ended up transferring to Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. All that to say, Oral Roberts is a very fascinating team. They have a seven-footer who's a great rim protector. Duke is one of the hottest teams in the country. I think this bracket fell perfectly for Duke to make a, a Final Four run. If I'm John Shire, I'm jumping up and down and saying, this is great for us, and we're playing our best basketball of the year. But I do think that Oral Roberts is going to be a tough test for them in the first round. Is there any world in which Oral Roberts actually comes through and gets a win and America can can back them as the ultimate Cinderella? Because they kind of got the perfect draw for that. You know, this is almost Lehigh level Cinderella draw. And you have Max Asmus, who everyone loves. That's like Steph Curry getting Duke in the first round. So uh, that's that's a fun part of this game. Do you think Oral Roberts can do it or, or am I destined for another Duke Final Four run? Yeah, that's immediately where your mind goes. Honestly, it's probably a little more like Steph Curry, Georgetown 08 when you think about the big, physical, rugged athletes that can switch everything. Like It's probably a little more like that. Connor Vanover actually is an Arkansas transfer. Um, He's going to have probably the toughest test I don't know about. I mean, just just for the fact that uh, the Derek Lively and, and Filipowski both are starting to play better, and they're just such. A, it's it's an interesting thing that you know we watched the Champions Classic, and there were a couple times where Filipowski and Lively actually ran a couple pick and rolls together, and I was just like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> and and over the course of the year, I was kind of I was just like keeping an eye on that. I was like, "That's going to be pretty wild." You know, I think it, it would take a pretty out of body experience for for Abmus. Is it A Smith or Abmus? I'm always I don't know if I A Smith A Smith A Smith. Okay, yeah. yeah well, the um, it's prime for that type of performance. You know, I don't know that it's quite CJ McConnell because I don't know that I don't know that Max is that type of player that that level of NBA talent. But he's definitely somebody we've already seen in the tournament. We've already seen what he can do. Like we know that if he can get downhill and score, he's a super creative player who can shoot it. Um, yeah, they could, they could threaten them, but I just, I think it's a bad draw for Oral Roberts. I really do. And especially the, the fact that they've won 17 straight games, I think, uh, and it's a five twelve game. So I think a lot of people are going to be, especially the betters of the world, they're going to be all over Oral Roberts. And if you're Duke, 
weirdly, because of this draw, you might be even more locked in. Uh, Duke probably oh, yeah. believes, and I personally believe Duke should be higher than a five seed. They just won the ACC tournament. They could have easily won the ACC regular season. I thought they got a little slighted here by being a five seed and to go against the, one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, it is not a very Coach K draw. I don't think there's any world in which if Coach K is coaching that he gets Oral Roberts in a 5-12 game coming off an ACC tournament championship. So I'll give that credit to the Duke people. Uh, you, you guys got a bad draw. Um, but I think Duke will handle business. And if I was Oral Roberts personally, I would be upset that I did not get the Louisiana draw. I mean, obviously, you you would be a seed line below. But if you're Oral Roberts and you get that 4-13 game with Tennessee, who doesn't have Zakai Ziegler, who's out for the year, who seems like they're still trying to search for who they are without him. Um, you know, he was a guy that got benched early in the season. Then he ended up being kind of their spark plug with their starters. Regardless, I mean, Tennessee is not the 100% Tennessee that we thought they would be at this point. They're a very susceptible team. And I think a, a team like Louisiana, led by Bob Marlin, I watched them play in the Asheville Championship. They got this guy, Terrence Lewis, Terrence Lewis who was the uh, MVP of that tournament. He's a great three, great small forward, great three and D type guy. It, one of those guys that we were talking about before that he went from Jackson State um I think he went to he went to three schools, so he he wouldn't be bounced all around as well. There, there's a lot of guys on Louisiana that are like this is their third school at Louisiana. Yeah. Jordan Brown is one of those guys, but they they are a very talented group, and I think with the draw for Louisiana in that four thirteen game, there is more of a chance for the upset than what Oral Roberts got with the five twelve because Duke might be one of if not the hottest one of the hottest teams going into the tournament, and they look like they're playing their best basketball. So. I would much rather be Louisiana going up against a Tennessee who's kind of trending down as opposed to Duke who is trending up and probably is underseated at this point. Yeah, and I have kind of a conspiracy theory here, Tate, that I've kind of thought for years, and I've never really thought about it rationally, so it's probably ridiculous. But I feel <laughs> like whenever we have sort of a punchy, non-traditional power, not like a blue-bloody team that would like draw. Now, Purdue would bring, it's probably more about a, a television thing than like a tickets thing, but it just seems like this happens whenever we get, or maybe it happens because the Blue Bloods are just down and it's sort of a displacement thing, but it just seems like whenever we have like a non-superpower one seed, there's always like one of those heavy-hitting, rising Blue Blood teams, like they're ready to sort of just usurp the path. Like, I, I don't know, it just feels like this is, I could see Duke disappointing us and doing this um, back. But, well, do, do, do you think there's any credence to that or for like the television part of it where they're like, well, maybe maybe this team, they played well during the regular season. I mean, the, one of the classic ones was Wichita State in the yeah. 14, you know, which they ran up. That was like an all time bullshit deal for them. Um, I don't know. Is that a is that an off the rails conspiracy theory? What do you think? I think we know how this all goes. At the end of the day, there's an entertainment aspect to this, and the NCAA tournament. You know, this is where they make their bread and butter. This is where they make their big time money. So, they need a good tournament, and they also need fans, which is why I thought there was a chance that North Carolina might sneak in, even though they do not deserve to sneak in. But we kind of know how these games go, where they're, they 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 run the numbers, they crunch the numbers, they say we could sell this many tickets if we send this team to Dayton or we send this team to Greensboro. And all of a sudden, you know, the math checks out and, and we got ourselves a bracket that that is set up a, a certain type of way. I do think Purdue fans, you know, it, it might be the best thing for them that people are off the scent, right? Because they are, oh, I think, yeah. I think Purdue's playing their best basketball right now. I really do. And I think that they've shown um, that they can really win at a high level. And I think Zach Eady's playing at the, the best possible level that he can play at at this point. So I feel good if you're Purdue 
I mean, because of all of the 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 experts, so to speak, are saying, well, this team, I don't believe in them. They got Memphis, they got Duke, they got, you know, Kentucky, right? That's also we'll talk about that game as well. But I feel like if you're well, we're Purdue, talking about talented what you teams want. right now, Tate, you were uh, I didn't want to throw them in there with any of the talented teams. Oh, I just man. wanted to poo-poo that really quickly before <laughs> you went too far. You know, let's leave Kentucky off of that. Let's leave Kentucky off that. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Purdue fan right now, maybe that's the best thing that could happen because it does feel like every year when they are like even last year, the bracket broke perfectly for them uh, uh, is what we all thought. Right. St. Peter's and the Sweet 16 and then North Carolina and eight seed. What what a perfect break of the bracket. These guys, they, they got a path right to the Final Four. And then, of course, we know what happens. The St. Peter's game, things get tight. The rest is history. So if I'm Purdue, maybe this, because it is, quote, unquote, tougher and everyone's not picking us and no one believes in us, yada, 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 you can spin that into a positive thing and make a run. Um, can we talk about Kentucky, though? Because this is the Bryce Hopkins game. I think that's, that's the angle, right? This is the yeah. potentially a Bryce Hopkins revenge game. Or it could be something where Kentucky maybe says, hey, we didn't need you. Look how good we are without you. This is a 6-11 game. I thought Providence would be up a little bit. I thought they might be a 9-10, um, but they're an 11 seed. As a Kentucky guy, what do you expect out of this group, and uh, especially coming off the Vanderbilt game? Well, I hope that Jacob Toppin, the guy, uh, that, uh, Jacob Toppin and Chris Livingston, two guys that sort of pushed you know, Bryce Hopkins out of the program. Well, Cal pushed him out of the program, if we're being honest. Uh, right. I hope that those two guys are like, uh, I'm not going to promote drug use and say, you know, like I, I, I'm saying, I hope they're doing the Ray Velcoro from like the True Detective season two thing and like getting pumped up, hitting their sh their you know, their <laughs> chest, do, maybe doing some pull-ups on a bar in their dorm room. I'm not promoting cocaine use, but I'm just going to turn <laughs> my back. Uh, you know, I just think, this is a game, you know, Hopkins obviously is the thing that you fix on fixate on. He's going to come into this game and he's going to be feisty looking, looking to do something. It is sort of a narrative thing. Ed Cooley is a great coach. Um, Providence, like we said, looked had moments where they looked pretty frisky in, in, in their turn in their conference tournament. The big thing here is that Case and Wallace, if, if he's not healthy, he looked a little dinged up in that game against Vanderbilt. Uh, Kentucky has shown that when they go up against these teams, they just can't Teams with multiple handlers, they they struggle with. They can't stay in front of the ball. Oscar is just an absolute defensive disaster. They've tried blitzing the pick and roll and having him retreat to sort of hide some of that so that teams can't get downhill and exploit the lob over the top. All that to say, I, I just think that I don't have heavy expectations for them, even if they do get past this, this game, because I think Kansas State would be a tough... I want to talk about Montana State as well. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, man. I'm not in a great place. I had a friend tell me that he was like, man, I'm going to be so stressed next week for the tournament. I was like, I'm not, I have no expectations. So this, yeah. I don't know how intense a tournament Kyle you're going to get from me, Tate. I'll, I maybe I'll put, I'll put it on and perform for you a little bit. I'm willing to do that. Um, but this team just, the roster feels like Cal duct taped this to the point where it was like, okay, this is kind of working. But anytime, like I said, they run up against these teams that spread them out. It's the same thing as last year. They just can't guard the ball and. Uh, I feel like that's their fatal flaw. Yeah, it feels like there's a leaky faucet, and he, like you said, put duct tape on it, and it kind of covered it for a couple weeks, three weeks in you know January, February, and everyone was like, oh, I kind of like where Kentucky is. I th think they might be getting it, getting it together, figuring it out, you know. And I think what what you said, you hit the nail on the head. It's a roster overhaul, overhaul at this point, and uh, you know we love Shibway. He's a guy that was a national player of the year, but I think 
Weirdly, in college basketball now, with all the options that are available, guys can actually overstay their welcome in college basketball, which used to be that was impossible. But now with the COVID year and the transfer portal and the grad school option, I mean, there's so many ways to continue playing college basketball. And as we talked about and joked about, I mean, there's 27-year-olds playing in the NCAA tournament. What a world we live in. But I, I feel like Oscar is one of those guys where I'm happy he got paid with the NIL stuff. I'm happy that, you know, he's able to make the most of, you know, his college career financially. But it it feels like for everybody's sake, it might just be the time. And uh, weirdly with Kansas State, you mentioned that second round matchup that could be there. Weirdly with Kansas State, there's that history where what year was that where the bracket broke kind of perfectly for Kentucky in the Sweet 16. You, you know I know what year it is. It's kind of like, I, I like, <laughs> yeah, I could, it's like I could throw some little lob. What was that take? You're like, <laughs> I know what year, like it was 2018 that Bruce right. Weber came in and that was a classic, oh, the bracket's breaking open for us. Kentucky fans were all kind of like, looking around like, oh, oh I mean, I, I literally like, was texting my Kentucky friends like, congratulations, you know, and like, then all of a sudden it was the battle of the Wildcats and, and yeah. things went crazy. And then Bruce Brown comes out there and punks us. Yeah, that was that was a really really tough night. I just uh, I don't know, man. Keontae Johnson, uh, you know, and I just think that they could beat him. They could turn around. That's the thing about this team, man. It's all year they've like pissed me off, and I've been annoyed. And then they'll make a little run, and I'll be and uh, I'll get more optimistic, and then they'll lay an egg. So you said it. It was funny to listen to you talk about Armando Baycott and be like, oh, he might come back. You had a little light in your eye, a little <laughs> glimmer. You were like, it could happen. I don't want to be mean, man. I know these are kids, but it's like, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready for a palate right. cleanse. Oscar's right. the worst passer in the Calipari era. He does one thing. I think next year, Cal's going to have a roster. I'm already talking about next year. I don't know. Watch him win the tournament. <laughs> play this Kentucky, back. These and, are Kentucky fans. Yeah. yeah you guys have moved on. You're like, give me Robert Dillingham and give me DJ Wagner. <laughs> yeah, man. Bring them in here. Reed Shepard. I just think they're going to have a lot more guards. You know, Aaron Bradshaw. I hope Damian Collins and Chris Livingston stay. That's all I'm going to say. All right. I I, I think Cal, one last thing. I think Cal should take the phones away because that's what he did before the Tennessee game. We all remember this. He took the phones away. It was a 24-hour, zero dark 30 is what LeBron calls it. He took the phones away from all of them, and they came out and they played like gangbusters and, and got a big win. So I feel like if I'm Calipari, that's what I'm selling these guys. I'm like, I'm taking your phones. We're We're locking down. All we're doing is talking about Bryce Hopkins and how he's better than you and how we wish he would have stayed here and he actually would have led us to a, to a national championship if we had him. That's all I would do the entire week. You have no phones. You can't reach out to anybody. And all I do is bring up great moments from the season from Bryce Hopkins. And hopefully that lights a fire under these guys and, and Kentucky can go out there and get a win. You mentioned Montana State, Kansas State. Can you quickly hit on Montana State? Because Kansas State has the best coach, one of the best coaches in basketball, if not the best coach this year, Jerome Tang. But I haven't heard much about Montana State, and I want to hear your thoughts on them. Uh, well, this is just a name guy. I think this guy has one of the best names in college basketball, and that's Raekwon Battle. He is a transfer from Washington. He was in the recruiting class with Isaiah Stewart and uh, and Jade McDaniels, who, you know, Great for class. the Pistons and, and the Timberwolves. It turns out, yeah, in retrospect, that was a really good class. I don't know. <laughs> that team was terrible. But um, no, Raekwon is a guy who can really, really score. Um, he's, he's a dribble shooter. Um, he's somebody that is sort of, he's an outburst watch. He's somebody mm-hmm. that I would keep an eye on. Like he could get rolling, uh, Raekwon Ballard from, from Montana state. Uh, will he do it? I feel like it could just turn around and be really disappointing. I feel like Keontae Johnson's probably the best, the best player in that matchup. I expect, even though I do think that we could have some entertaining moments from Montana state, I think Kansas state's going to move on. 
And as far as like, if you're just a casual fan and you want a team to pull for, I do feel like Kansas State checks all those boxes because of the Keontae Johnson story. If you don't know this, Keontae Johnson was the player at Florida that passed out on the court and, you know, a couple years back. He goes and rehabs, transfers to Kansas State. He's had an amazing season. Now I see him on draft boards. I mean, he's got an incredible story. And, uh, and then Jerome Tang goes there. They're picked last in the Big 12 this year. Everyone says that they're going to be nothing. Don't worry about them. They're the only Big 12 team that that's not worth worrying over. And they were amazing all year long. And uh, so I think Kansas State maybe is even a little underrated as far as their chance to make a Sweet 16, potentially even further run. So keep your eyes uh, on the Wildcats there. Another team uh, in the East that we have to circle always, Mr. March, Tom Izzo. He is breaking Coach K's record of consecutive tournament appearances. So congratulations to Coach Izzo. He's officially Mr. March. Lock that in. First round game with USC with Andy Enfield. Andy Enfield and USC and USC as a program in general has always been a fascinating tournament team, whether it's Nick Young and USC beating Kevin Durant in Texas in the second round, whether it's Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley making a, a strange elite eight run in 2021. USC is just one of those teams. And if you look at their their current roster. I like three guys on their roster a lot. You know what I mean? I like Boogie Ellis, former point guard of, of Memphis. He basically got replaced by Kendrick Davis this year. But Boogie Ellis is a good guard, a guy that committed to Duke back in the day. He, he's a very talented former five-star kid. Like his game. Drew Peterson is one of my he's, favorite players in he's basketball. He's my favorite player on their team. Yeah, right, he's great. Right. And he could go off and have, like, Drew Peterson be, could become a star of March. He could be in the one-shining moment montage. I mean, he... he checks all those boxes and then Trey White who's a freshman that they had that they just brought in and I think he's going to end up being an NBA type guy uh, a, a talented guard so when I look at USC I see a lot of talent and then when I look at Michigan State I see a lot of experience you know with the Joey Housers of the world and obviously with Tom Izzo so I think that first round matchup between USC and Michigan State will be fascinating and whoever wins that game will give Marquette a pretty tough matchup in the second round if Marquette is able to get past the Vermont Catamounts who are seemingly in every tournament. I think they've been in seven straight tournaments or something insane like that. But uh, yeah, so Marquette, if they were to play Tom Izzo or if they were to play Andy Infield in USC, um, that would give me a little bit of concern if I'm Shaka Smart because everything's been great for Marquette. They win the Big East regular season. Tyler Kolick is, is one of the best point guards in basketball. They go and win the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. Everyone's fired up. I mean, I saw them in Milwaukee. They're at the Mecca right across from Pfizer Forum. You know, they're, they're in Bucks territory. It just feels like it's all good vibes for Marquette. But I am always concerned when Tom Izzo is a seven seed and a team is a two seed. Um, and he's able to make his path and uh, and, and able to make his run in March. So Michigan State, USC, I circle that matchup. Whoever wins there, that that that's going to be an interesting second round matchup with Marquette potentially. What do you see from from either Michigan State or USC that you like? Uh, well, I mean, you hit on it. I mean, Drew Drew Peterson almost has like a Thomas Walkup kind of vibe, where he's just yeah. one of those dudes who just does everything, and you could see him just like picking. He's a smart player. Uh, I could see him just like picking apart this matchup or like kind of reading the lay of the land in the first 10 minutes uh, and then going on a run. You you failed to mention one of the more painful uh, USC tournament performance ever, which was when they knocked out my beloved Tayshaun Prince, Keith Bogan's team back right. in 2001 with one Mr. Brian Scalabrini. What a time. Do not forget. <laughs> I just wanted to call back to that moment of heartbreak. But no, yeah, I, honestly, Tate, like I like, this pod could play out in any way. And I, this is one of the most unpredictable pods to me because all yeah. of these teams, I don't see enormous, you know, market's been playing great, but I don't see like gigantic 
distance between them. Like, I, you know, I, I just think that this could play out any any which way, and it wouldn't totally surprise me in terms of who comes out of this heading into the Sweet 16. Marquette's defense had me concerned because, it, weirdly, Shaka Smart's known for having these great defensive teams, but they were not a great defensive team. They were a great offensive team, and they still are a great offensive team. But since about February 1st or so, they're a top 50 defense. I think that's where they really locked in. And if they can continue to play that way defensively, speed the game up, press a little bit, trap a little bit. These are all, th- you know, the energy of Shaka Smart is very infectious. And we saw that with VCU back in 2011 when he made that Final Four run. That is still a staple of Shaka Smart. So I, I think that they can hang their hat on that end of the floor. But like you said, the talent discrepancy is not that large, especially if they play a team like USC. Like there's a world in which Marquette goes out on the court and they're like, damn, these guys are just as athletic as we are, if not more athletic, you know, and, and there's that conversation kind of comes into play. Um, same with the Kentucky, right? If, if we get further along and Kentucky gets there and, and faces them. Well, let's not get carried away. I don't know. I'm just saying, I mean, the, the talent <laughs> is there. There's the, there Truly. is talent there. And uh, yeah, that that pod, that pod has my attention. The East has my attention in general because I think it's it's pretty wide open. Unless you're a Purdue fan and and you're you you think that Zach Eady is going to lead you to the promised land. I hope so. First Final Four appearance since 1980. That would be great for basketball. I do like Matt Painter. I think he's done a great job as a coach. I think regardless of if they do make a Final Four or not, that should not change the conversation around Matt Painter. I just want to say all that before. Uh, inevitably Memphis plays them in the second round, but let's, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. Nice. Um, get, get ahead of it there. That's, yeah. that's smart. I was, I was going to tack on. Yeah. Like you're right about Marquette 97 percentile and overall half court offense this season point point, almost a point per possession. They, they really have been killing it. And uh, they're, re- they really solid running like side out play. They're just a clever team. And I think like the shock of smart thing is interesting because like some salesmen, I feel like work better, for different environments and different scenarios. And I feel like that on the cusp program that like not quite like power five, but blue, we saw it like not quite work at Texas. Like when he, when you have access to different types of athletes and players, it's just, it, I used to talk to Charks about this all the time. It frustrated him. He felt like once he got more access to different types of athletes, Shaka, his like sales approach just didn't quite work. With Marquette, it's working, man. They play their ass off for him. You see how him celebrating after the games. He's a fun guy. I just wanted to tack that on there. That it, they they wouldn't surprise me if they came out, even though nothing totally would surprise me out of this pod, honestly. Yeah, I liked I like Shaka when he has four plus stars, not five stars. And I think I saw that when I we saw them at the uh, the Maui Invitational when it was in Asheville in 2020. And uh, they played North Carolina in the championship game. And I'm looking at Texas's roster, and I'm looking at North Carolina's roster, and I'm like, okay. Texas has all the five stars and Carolina's got four stars, you know, and that that's the talent that Shaka was bringing in. But that talent didn't necessarily buy into that dog mentality of like, we're going to we're going to scrap. We're going to dive on the floor. We're going to do all this stuff because they're five stars. I mean, Mac Brown talked about that when, you know, he came back to Carolina. He's like, I learned a big lesson about, you know, these recruiting rankings and, and you know, putting stock in the five star kid as opposed to the kid that's a better player. You know, it's like. The, the, there's this weird back and forth where you like have to check these recruiting boxes, but at the end of the day, you're not always taking the best player, and that's his own weird politics because you know there's an expectation you should get the number one guy at the position. But what happens if the number twenty seven guy is actually better than the number one guy? He's just mm-hmm. been you know misgraded, but we only have one scholarship spot, and you go to the boosters, and they're like, we don't want the number twenty seven guy, we want the number one guy, you know. And even like a Shea Gilgis Alexander at Kentucky, I think was a perfect example of that. Perfect, Shea, yeah. Shea was a four-star guy, and he was heads and shoulders to me the best prospect, you know, in that group. 
And it's weird how, you know, I mean, obviously it's not a science. No one knows, you know, who, why, five-star, four-star, whatever. But it's always a fascinating conversation. And I feel happy for Shaka that he seems to have more uh, control over those types of decisions. I think a lot of stuff at Texas was maybe above his head a little bit. And he was more reacting to what he was told as opposed to to making those decisions for himself. Um, But there you go. Those are our four regions. We just ran through them. Um, the, the first four out, I'll just do the, you know, the note, the notes and, and things like that. First four out, uh, Rutgers, North Carolina, Clemson, Oklahoma state. Um, I don't think any of those teams, maybe Rutgers. I, I mean, there's probably an argument for Rutgers and Clemson potentially to be in. Mm-hmm. I would have put, I would have put Clemson in over Pittsburgh. I probably would have put Rutgers in over Pittsburgh. Um, but you know, for whatever, whatever reason, the committee says, nay, I can't believe North Carolina was even considered on that first four line. I think that was, you know, and I think it maybe even makes it worse because you can now play it back and say this team, you know, if you win the Alabama game, you're in, or if you beat Duke at home, if you're in, if you aren't hurt against Virginia tech, maybe you're in, but regardless, they did not deserve to be in. So I I don't think there was any, usually we have Dickie V right. Do the, Oh, come on, baby. Come on. How you not going to let Ruckus in? You know, that whole thing. I don't, I don't think we have that this year. Right. I think, uh, I didn't watch the ESPN show. I don't know if they, they roused him to to do that one. Uh, I don't think so. I I think this year we all kind of, it seems like there was a certain level of, uh, you know, maybe you're upset about Nevada getting in, but at the same time, you, you really don't. I mean, it's kind of you could pick any of these teams and there, there's arguments to be made for each one. It's all very subjective. They're trying to do their best. And weirdly, I don't think that they look at the quad system as much as they look at like SOR and KPI and things like that. You know, like the, there there's a different conversation that happens with the committee versus the the bubble boys, even though the bubble boys, you know, dictate the conversation. And, it, and the funniest thing is I have to point this out because I'm a man of uh, I'm a journalist. Joe Lenardi was 67 out of 68 with his with his bracket. So I, I've said a lot of not nice things about Joe Lenardi yeah, uh, on this program. And I was like, dang, wow, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect yes. the vitriol towards Joe Lenardi. Joey People Brackets. were going at Lenardi's neck, myself included. I, I gotta I gotta give him a tip of the cap. He did a good job. Uh and I'll run down the the conferences. We got eight teams from the Big Ten, eight teams from the SEC, seven teams from the Big Twelve, five from the ACC, five from the Big East, four from the Pac twelve. Four from the Mountain West, two from the WCC, and two from the American. I know Bill Walton is probably fired up right now that Washington State did not get put into the tournament. Um, he was going to fight Joe Lenardi on the air during the Pac-12 championship game about Wazoo. Um, I wish they would have put the Cougars in. I love Kyle Smith, um, but it just it wasn't meant to be. Pac-12 only gets four teams in the tournament. ACC only gets five. Big East only gets five. I don't know what the Big Ten has on the committee. I don't know what blackmail they have, but they do it again. Um, and they get eight teams in the tournament, Kyle. Is there is there any conference that you feel like got snubbed? Did the Big Twelve get snubbed? I feel like they should have the most teams. They're the best conference. Uh, I don't I don't have any kind of strong feelings anyway on the on the snubbing. I just I know overall <laughs> this year I found myself really entertained with the Big East, like mm. more than normal. Uh, and and it, not that. You know, I'm obviously like a classic Big East fan. I love all that lore and stuff. But uh, I, the, this year, I just feel like their teams and it might lead to them being scrappy. You know, in this in this in this tournament, that's something to keep an eye on. I, I just found myself over and over again revisiting their games because they just played. Uh, there were a lot of teams playing inter- entertaining brands of basketball. Yeah. Well, uh, let's. Uh, this is what everyone wants. They want you to do your predictions. We can put out our own brackets if we want to. I don't even know if I'm going to do that this year because. 
what's even the point? But maybe I will. The Ringer will probably ask me to tweet out a bracket. But I feel like we could just start with our final fours. Uh, if Have you done this? Have you have you filled out your bracket? Or are you still just marinating on it at this point? Uh, I mean, I have some picks in mind here. I don't... Okay. I kind of feel I, like I haven't written them in yet. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like this is let's just say this is our gut reactions. These are not our actual predictions. This is just like if right now, as I look at the bracket, as I just saw the selection show, as I'm sitting here at my desk, these are what I think the four teams will be and, and as we get to Houston. I think that's the best way to preface this because I may wake up tomorrow and I may have a different I might have a totally different bracket. I haven't written anything in. So I, I just want to say that as the caveat before we get started here. Uh, you want you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Well, yeah, we'll start with you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I I feel like I'm going to change my mind. I don't know. I, I, did, <laughs> yeah, I right. didn't. I, I, obviously, and to, you to be frank right. with you, man, I'm terrible at this. Everybody always asks right. me. There, you know, among my like <laughs> friends, like my dorky hipster friends, I'm always just they're like, hey, who's gonna, you know, what are you, what's your advice? Sorry to my friends that I called dorky and hipster just now, but. Um, <laughs> And I always just tell them, I'm like, dude, you'll get more right than I will because I'll overthink it. That's the way this always goes. But I have Alabama coming out. I have Marquette. And then I have Miami, which, you know, that one could be wild. And then I have Kansas. And I actually have Kansas repeating as national champs this year. Oof. I think that's a great choice. And uh, as I kept looking at the bracket, I kept thinking to myself, it just feels inevitable that Kansas is going to do this again. And I, I'm trying, I, like I said, I haven't written it. I haven't written it out because I don't want it to be the reality of the situation, but I'll, I'll run through it. I, I keep trying to talk myself out of Alabama making the final four, but it just feels inevitable. And I think that Alabama is going to play Arizona in the elite eight. And I think it's going to be a great game. And I think that Arizona is going to be up six points with like three minutes to go. And Kirk Kreese is going to have two of the dumbest term turnovers in history. <laughs> and Alabama is going to somehow get out of the South and actually make it to Houston and make it to the final four. So that's chalk. I, I think Alabama is going to do it, even though I will say this is not written in stone. I have not written this out. Maybe Arizona. I wake up tomorrow because I feel like a West Coast team can do it. So, so Arizona maybe can talk me into it. But for now, Alabama lock that in. As I looked at the East, I want it to be Purdue. I really do. I, I want Purdue to be able to kind of, you know, get this monkey off their back, let everyone know they're actually one of the teams that you have to be reckoned with. And I still go back to the Carson Edwards game in 2019, and it just it just sticks in my brain because of how amazing he was and how both those teams, both Virginia and Purdue, it felt like they both deserved to go to the Final Four. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's some sort of weird karmic debt that is going to come back to Purdue. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, and I think coming out of the East, and I think a lot of people are not going to enjoy this. It hurts my heart to say, but I just feel so inevitable because of the way the season has gone. But I think Duke's coming out of the East. I, I do. I think Duke is a Ouch. five seed is going to come out of the East. I almost um, did it. I almost did it. I came close. I don't know. I, I, I think just, they're going to beat Marquette. I think they're going to beat Marquette to go to the Final Four, and Shaka Smart is going to be left right there, and it's going to break my heart, and I and I hope I'm wrong. And maybe me saying this is my weird way to try to make sure it doesn't happen. I put it out in the universe, but I see the path. And if I, like I said, if I'm John, John Shire, I am jumping up and down with excitement because I'm like, wow, we, we actually did this. Uh, Midwest is uh, going to be chalk. For me, again, um, I think Houston's going to be in the Final Four. I think Houston's going to be in Houston. Sasser, the injury, I still has a question mark in my mind. But for whatever reason, I, I want Miami. I, I, I told you there's going to be one ACC team. So Miami's still the other one. So those are my two right now. It's Houston or Miami, I think, that comes out of there. 
I can't get behind Texas. In fact, I think Colgate is a really bad matchup for Texas. So <laughs> I, I had to leave them alone. But yeah, so Houston, Miami, they have my attention there. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Houston. Um, and then finally in the West, this is one that I, I, I racked my brain around uh, with this for quite some time. But UCLA was a team I thought was going to win the national championship. I just want to say that. Two weeks ago, I was sitting on my couch and I was saying to myself, outside of Kansas, which I was in fear of the repeat, UCLA was my team. And UCLA was my team because of one man. His name was Jalen Clark. And when Jalen Clark went down, it changed my whole scope with this UCLA team. I think they can still make it to Houston. I really do. I think they can win the West and get to Houston. But I think they're going to lose to Gonzaga on the way. Mm. I really do. And I think Gonzaga is going to be the team that gets there as a three seed. Um, so that's going to be my final four. I think Gonzaga is going to beat Houston in the final four. They're going to go to the national championship game. Um, and then I think Alabama is going to play Gonzaga in the national championship game. And uh, I think, unfortunately, I think Alabama might win the national championship. It's just kind of like a Billy Donovan, Florida <sighs> type thing where we're just like, you think Nate Oates kicks the door down and joins, he kind of joins the, the club where you get the bathrobe. It's sort of yeah. like the SNL host club. You, like, you right. get to go in the back. And nobody wanted him in there. Like everyone, yeah. it's kind of like when you win a green jacket and all the guys and they're like, really? This guy, Charles, Charles Schwartzel won the Masters. <laughs> now he's here with us, you know? It's kind of like Cal, honestly. I mean, he, that was right. the way it was. Yeah. Cal wanted to be the man and then he became the man. That's kind of the... I, I, it, it, I could see it happening. I could see it happening. And with all of the stuff off the court and everything with Alabama, I think it's the worst case scenario for college basketball, just as far as it can't even be a conversation about the basketball because it just can't, you know, I mean that, that because of the circumstances, it just can't. So I think if there is a world in which that this happens and Alabama doesn't end up being the national champions, it is going to leave a, a, a tough taste in, in a lot of people's mouths. And, and it's going to be a whole separate, larger conversation about college basketball that is my fear with it and if if i know the ncaa the old ncaa it's kind of like you know when people talk about the nba they're like the old david stern nba the old ncaa <laughs> yeah. uh would probably make sure that doesn't happen and maybe they make sure that a team like you know arizona uh makes it out and actually does go to houston instead of alabama but i don't see i can't see a team beating what i just saw uh in the sec championship game if they play that way and they play that connected and they played that high intensity on the defensive end it really is hard. And and they have four bigs that they can rotate in that are all legit. I mean, Betty oh, yeah. Ako dominated that game and he mm -hmm. wasn't even the, the most valuable player for Alabama, right? I mean, there's people at home, they're like, I don't even know who Betty Ako is. It's like, yeah, the big guy in there that's absolutely dominating. Um, and, and they have great rim protection. So I don't know. I I Bama's Bama is the team that really scares me. Um I, I for whatever reason I just I can't get them out of my head. But again, this is not final brackets. We uh we have time to change. We have uh we can we always change the right. Yes, yeah. right. This is not this is not set in stone. This is not locked in stone. I will say Jay Wright's final four. I, I thought his was fascinating. He had Alabama, Texas, Marquette, and Kansas. Um, and that had my attention as well. I I, I think that's a good final four. I would love to see Marquette in the final four. I really would. Um, you and I both love Al McGuire, so. If we could get oh, we could get some Al McGuire, yeah. If we get some Al McGuire conversation, um, I think we're all we're all happy. Um, is there anything else, big picture, Kyle? Before we uh, we get out of here, because this has been the Selection Sunday uh, special, been a lot of fun. 
Uh, let's see. I, other than the well, the narratives, I think we hit on everything that I wanted to. Um, just be prepared for uh, the, the. There's always the jokes. I think that's the other thing you kind of got to be ready for. There's going to be people who are sw- parachuting in for the first time. We're going to get a lot of Grady Dick jokes. Uh, yeah. You know, we're going to get. I wish people would stop, but I kind of wish we're going to get a lot of like firearm related jokes relating to Brandon Miller. Can we just oh, stop man. with that? Please. Like I've just seen those from people that I thought had better taste. Can we just can we just stop with those? It's not, not it's not funny mood. enough. You know what I mean? It's, like there's some things a, that that can be funny. Like Rick Pitino, fifteen seconds is funny, you know. Anytime yeah. that someone says something, you know, you're just like, that's the line of of funny. It's like if you know, you know, but it's not like on sure. the it's not on its face, just absolutely egregious. And yeah. and that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah, we don't yeah like that. totally. So I, that's that's the thing to watch. And uh, so you you got our characters. Maybe we can like I can tweet out a little uh, screenshot of the characters that we we mentioned or some kind of a guide. But uh, <laughs> no, man, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped and jacked to to yeah. watch this uh, to watch this tournament. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm fired up. It's March Madness. I actually feel like a sense of relief that I don't have to worry about North Carolina. I know you were talking about how you know you can put on the the fan face if you need to to get hyped up or whatever, but you're kind of over it. I'm fully over it. I, I've been over it. Um, I'm as over it as they are. They they declined the NIT invitation. So there you go. I mean, that's that's where we are uh, in the world of Carolina basketball. I'm happy not to have to deal with that. I'm happy to be able to watch these games, focus, talk about these teams. It's a lot of great teams. There's a lot of great storylines. There's a lot of um, pass to a national championship. You know, I know that usually we say there's eight to 10 teams. I asked Billis, he said there probably still is eight to 10 teams, but you know, I, you, you go around and talk to different people in college basketball, whether it's like a Fran Fraschilla, he said there's 20 teams that could win it. Right. There's a lot of, it's funny how that works. If I asked Bill, he's like, nah, probably about 13 teams, you know, something like that. You know, everyone, everyone's got their number this year, um, which I appreciate. And, you know, there's a lot of talented basketball teams. And uh, I did see that if if you are not a college basketball person uh, after the selection show, uh, 60 Minutes had a whole story on the evolution of dogs. So uh, if you need I to I heard go- that. I was like, oh, <laughs> evolution of dogs. Man, that's I was curious to, to check it out. <laughs> I was like, I guess I got to lock in on this, uh, you know, now that it's I don't really, have to worry about March Madness. There you go. Uh, really good programming. And you know, it's horse shit, Tate. I mean, you know, the moment that that game starts, not the evolution of dogs. <laughs> I've enjoyed that evolution. That's been great. I was going to say, no, you know, it's horse shit. The moment that ball is tipped in that in that Kentucky game against Providence, I'm going to be a wreck. Right. I don't know if uh, I know we're going to I don't know if we want to share where we're going to be watching some tournament games. But yeah, uh, it's. I don't know. I hope I get into it. It's fun to be into it. I don't want to be jaded. You know, it's that's that's the living and dying and, and having a good time. I recover a lot faster, though, these days. I'll say yeah. I get over it a lot quicker. But, that's uh, that's how it has to be. You know what I mean? At yeah. some point, you just have to grow up and say, hey, it's just basketball. We'll move on. But deep down, you feel it. We all feel it. We all know how it feels. And uh, Kyle, you'll be coming out uh, to Los Angeles. So we're going to be watching the games uh, in person. We're going to be doing live reaction shows. Uh, right after the games wrap. So uh, we'll be in Los Angeles. We'll be um, watching all these games just like the rest of you. We're going to figure out where we're going to be. We're going to be downtown LA, but we're going to figure out specifically where we're going to end up going. But that that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about that. I love the reaction pods. Um, I love being able to watch uh, all these games and just like, you know, just throw ideas, bounce off ideas. We'll both say to each other multiple times, unfortunately, that's game. That's how these things work. We know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and yeah. that's, that's the beauty love- of it. I love that we had that in common that that's yeah that's one of the that's one of the hallmark things of root for your team is like I'll pick a 
I'll pick a play in like the first half with like 10 minutes to go. I'll be like, that's the ball. That's the game right there. <laughs> that's ball game. Like, what that's are you talking about? <laughs> that's it. That we're out. not, we're going to recover. That was it. You know, <laughs> uh, that's, I think that's one of the best parts of it, being a fan, honestly. Yeah, there you go. Well, I hope everybody out there can enjoy the madness and uh, we will be back on Wednesday. We're going to have a tournament primer with a former national champion. That's the tease. He's going to come on and explain to us what it takes to actually go and win a championship. And then after that, again, every single night after the first round of games, myself, Kyle Mann, reacting to all the hottest, biggest storylines that come out of those games and beyond. Um, this has been One Shining Podcast. We appreciate everyone listening, joining in, uh, trying to dissect these brackets with us. We love it. It's the best time of the year. This is March Madness. This is One Shining Podcast, and we will see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.